this is H Hour. Become a patron of H Hour at patron.charliecharlie1.com and pick up H Hour merchandise at shop.charliecharlie1.com. Enjoy this episode. Okay, that's better. I can hear myself. We are on. Yes, I left the. Uh, I left the I left twelve years ago, and I don't like I don't like it. the further it gets away, <laughs> the further in the past it was, the, the less I like it. Right, okay. the less I like it. It's like yeah. a. <sighs> I think a lot now, and from other people saying it as well, it's like you don't don't make something your identity. Be that an illness, yeah, you know, be that an ideology, yeah, or something that you are, you know gay transgender yeah. black white whatever don't make it your identity ex-military it's really hard and i, I agree with that but also yeah. i this feeling of oh god it's getting further away that i was in the military it's yeah. i do cling to it in part way a part of part of my identity yeah you know it's like, i oh, still oh i still see myself as an army officer and uh yeah it's very hard to let go in fact i went to the i but I, you are you're a reservist yeah. officer aren't you? yeah i am yeah but yeah, it's different, isn't it? Is it? Oh, you can't it? say that. Ooh, They're the same. They're, They're the same. same. They're definitely the same. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, because I injured myself recently doing a, like doing some kite surfing and um, went to the hospital and the nurse, the doctor was like, oh, so what do you do for a living? And I instantly went, oh, I was in the army. Uh, I mean, I'm a project manager. <laughs> I don't know why. I just, instant reaction. And I was, and then, yeah. And she was like, so, so um, primarily desk-based. And I was like, yeah, yeah. You know. I'm a PM as well. Yeah. 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 Don't, it's, but it's, just, it's just different, it's isn't fine. it? It's just, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't necessarily mean. want that to be my identity like it, my, the army was, but. Yeah. What did you, uh, on the subject of the army, what did you think? Have you seen that case of the, the poor lady killing herself? Uh, the soldier. Recently. Uh, yeah. Really recently. Yeah, oh, well, she, I think it was last year, wasn't it? I will have picked, I will have read about it, but there's, sadly, oh, there's been more than. Pressure yeah. from her, um. Oh, it, the officer in Santos. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Th- oh, was it Santos? Was it there Santos? Was, there was an officer who. No. I'm, pro- I'm sure. She, I'm sure there was an, off- uh, an officer cadet. Female soldier. Who either attempted or she did it because she was accused of having an affair with one of the members of staff or something. Who was this? No, a little more recent. Let's have a look at this. Here we go. This is it. J. Uh, Lee Louise Beck. You not seen this one? No, so it's not showing up. I don't know if it's. Oh, sorry, you can't see that. Sorry, sorry, Mm. sorry, sorry. Let's have a look at this now uh, on the screen. Not showing up. Anyway, it was. uh, God's sake. Yeah, uh, Jaisley Louise Beck, and so she killed herself after. Here we go. Look, here it is. LBC female soldier nineteen took her uh, yeah, took yeah, her yeah. own I saw life that recently. Yeah, yeah. after intense period of sexual harassment Literally by the boss. A week ago, yeah. Shocking. Oh, oh artillery! Yeah, you were artillery, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, she, but I was reading about it, and the boss that, sent like oh. thousands of messages to her, thousands of messages. Yeah. Oh God, it's that's horrendous. It is, and <clears throat> when you know, the thing about it is, people are people are looking at him and thinking. Well, this is presuming that he's guilty of anything. Obviously, sending all this stuff and harassing her. With that amount of interaction between them, it must have been visible yeah. from other people <laughs> in the chain of command and peers, peers of both people. Yeah. And it still was able to happen. 
Yeah. It's just I wonder shocking. if sometimes these things happen in such small little increments that no one no one feels like they can call out call it out because it's like you know if someone does something really bad really obvious like someone goes and grabs someone's ass over I don't know in the lunch hall or whatever that's really obvious you can call that out when it's sort of like subtle little things I wonder if people either don't know if if they've actually seen what they've seen or they've heard what they've heard and they don't know necessarily that they can call it out but they don't realise it's part of a bigger picture well I think another thing with the military is there's this culture that has to has to exist in certain environments where you're not to question orders. You're not, which, yeah. means, which means inherently you're not to question the chain of command, authority, yeah. the authority. And that is absolutely great yeah. for operations in most circumstances. Yeah. Oh, well, having said that, there are allowances to yeah. question it in terms of legality, right? Yeah. As you know. Yeah. Um, but that carries over into at home and you know, in camp yeah, and in yeah. barracks things where it shouldn't. But it's... It, it's all. It must. It's difficult to switch from the one mindset of unquestionable authority, unless in extreme circumstances, yeah. to all of a sudden, oh, we're, we're in a, basically a normal working environment, like office environment, if you want to call it that. a normal UK laws prevail environment where you can and should call this kind of shit out. Yeah. And but in the military, it's very different. Yeah. It's very different. It's a culture I've definitely had to transition from because I worked briefly in the cabinet office as on secondment and um when you were serving you were serving yeah last job uh through 77 brigade actually oh was this the policy making yes so so it was rules of engagement oh so that was another one but yes i've been in the mod and the cabinet office different times doing yeah policy basically both times um that's at the strategic level but um the sort of civil service culture is very different to the military one as you would expect and um you know, the term woke was used <laughs> quite a lot. And we in the military, as you know, have quite a robust sense of, sense of humour. <laughs> don't use that. <laughs> there is language and there is uh, sort of approaches that you just don't use in the civil service. <laughs> Nearly had my fingers burnt. <laughs> so you, well, when you say woke was getting used, you and military colleagues were using woke well, in no, that environment? No, we, it was sort of that. It was just used to describe the culture in the civil service oh interesting which maybe it isn't maybe we're just really maybe we're just not not as woke as we should be in the army uh, particularly but i also think that we have a dark sense of humor for a reason uh, should anybody be woke I don't know. I don't should know. anybody be yeah, woke? i don't know i just it's the problem with that term isn't it yeah i got called out for using a word which i won't go into which i was just telling a story in my mind but somebody was offended by that word and in my mind, they had no reason to relate to that at all. It was a, a racist ter- like term that I was, t- I was telling a story. It wasn't at anybody. It was in telling a story of a story, in actual fact. And we were having discussion around like anti-racism, racism. And someone was offended because I used that, even said that word out loud. And I was like, you're a white middle class woman. How are you offended by that word? Oh, wow. But it was that, that's just one example, I think, of how much I felt like I had, you have to tiptoe sometimes. Was it the word? It was the one that comes after Mike. <laughs> yeah. In the oh, was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, when was this? Oh, this like a year and a half ago. Oh, that is brave. <clears throat> well, it was I like, realised not to say that word about three years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. To be fair, it was after longer about three that, beers in that. a pub in Whitehall. And I was. it was a story about a, someone else who told me that their <laughs> sergeant major had, had a dog of that name about 30 years ago. I was telling the story about how it's now inappropriate, you know, but I was, I had three beers and said it and I was like, oh, it, idiot. It, isn't it? Yeah, but, but isn't it 
fucking crazy. Oh, you can swear yeah. on this podcast, right? Okay. Isn't it crazy? Okay. Don't say the N-word. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Isn't it crazy yeah. that you can't say a word yeah. regardless of the context? Yeah, you can't regardless say Regardless of the context. Yeah. I, something popped into my head um, a few months ago on this topic. I can't remember what I was talking to you about. If I, I might have been talking about the podcast. So people listening, I, I apologize if I'm regurgi- regurgitating this story. But I am a massive fan of Richard Pryor. The comedian. Okay. Yeah. Black comedian. No longer with us, unfortunately, but yeah. black comedian. Genius. And I re- I remembered telling... Well, I, I remembered years ago, I used to repeatedly tell this joke, this gag that he had yeah. from one of his stand-ups. And it involved the prolific use of the N-word. Yeah. Right? Which, so he, it's his joke. Yeah. He's saying it, the N-word. Yeah. And I would just repeat the joke. Yeah. I was, and in the context of, this is how good Richard Pryor, you should listen yeah, to Richard, watch yeah, his yeah. stand-up. And I would repeat, it wasn't just the only joke, I'd repeat several jokes. I can't do that now. So, and, so I'm unable to like use that to demonstrate, that joke yeah. to demonstrate. And it, the joke wasn't about the N-word. He just yeah. happened to use it in the yeah. joke. I can't use it. I can't repeat that amazing like line that he has mm-hmm. to demonstrate how amazing this black guy is because, because it includes the end yeah, yeah. even though it's not used as a slur it's wild yeah. that we can't obviously I, I felt mortified that somebody was insulted or offended rather by my use of the word and in hindsight I wish I hadn't used it it was sort of like too relaxed after work three beers telling a story but that what frustrated me was the fact that it then made me feel uncomfortable about having a discussion around anti-racism because I felt like it was such a sensitive topic. And I was like, that's so frustrating because the whole point of that conversation was we were talking about why it's so important to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, to talk about it, yeah. yeah. A friend, a friend uh, I, had a, I had a reunion, I say a really small reunion with a bunch of reg blogs up here the other week. And um, one of my, um, one, probably my closest friend, one of my closest friends from when we served and he turned up and here in the car park he just pulled into and he got out and he said, what's happening, N-word? Yeah. Just as a, you yeah. know, because it's just like, it's like what's happening yeah buddy but yeah. he used the n-word and he just uses it as funny oh, i was i was shocked yeah and that he had yeah. said it out loud i was like yeah. oh my god and then i was shocked at myself for being shocked yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and do you know what each there and I, I i do you know what? i've never ever said that word out loud before and i won't ever say it out loud again <laughs> so, no no it's just so, not worth it no. and it's the only word yeah everything else you can say yeah, it's yeah. the only word yeah i think i think everything else you can say yeah. about anything i'm not yeah. just on about like race yeah, yeah. anything yeah. wild times we're living in yeah. strange, wild times strange point to start on <laughs> sorry oh, <I> <laughs> sorry <laughs> you, you brought it up oh god <laughs> so going back to the culture thing <laughs> yeah yeah it's tough it's tough but you know this is like the military culture it i don't know sometimes you can look at it people from the outside can look at it and go oh my god they're so they're so behind mm. they're so behind what we're behind no it's not they're behind it's a totally different thing yeah like military culture runs in parallel to normal civi- civilian culture yeah. and obviously there are many different streams and threads and avenues of and, and subcultures but it's parallel yeah it's not they're 10 years behind no because in 10 years time not going to be what we were, we are now it's completely different yeah completely yeah, yeah, different yeah. they're never going to be the same yeah. different world and pe- yeah. people will never understand it it's because you have we have to have a different mindset about how we operate and so naturally our language and our culture and the way we approach things is going to be different I don't, yeah and i've seen that more and more in the civilian world people can be experts in their fields but whether they're leaders or team players totally different ball game mm. you know? mm. It's hard. It is hard. Uh, did I see? Did I see that you are doing? I was going to come on to this later. Just popped <laughs> in my head though. Paddleboard in the channel. Uh, we did that in May. You've done it already. Yeah. Yeah. What yeah. was that like? 
So, the thing is that one. It's I love it sounds, I do that. No, no, the thing is, it sounds like one of the gnarliest challenges I did. Actually, it was probably the easiest. Really? <laughs> because it has to be dead flat calm and no wind. So it's ha- it basically, it was a mill pond. And so it's just a long paddle. But it was... And so that was tough. Like after three and a half... Why did it have to be like that? Because just for safety. Um, so you it, like if you have more than like 10 knots of wind in the middle of the English Channel, you're just going to... And especially if it's in the wrong direction, you ain't going to make it. Um, it'll just blow you up up into the North Sea. That's probably why Jordan Wiley knocked... Because jo- do you know... Have you heard of Jordan Wiley? I've heard of... Yeah. Yeah, so he... he it was a few years ago. He was doing a round the UK paddle. Oh, yes, paddle yes, yes. He ended up knocking that on the head. Yeah. About, oh, he got halfway. Yeah. But I think, because it was just taking so long. Yeah. So long. If you're against the wind and if the waves are against you, you know, you can have a really good paddleboard. I mean, at some point you might as well just have a canoe, you know, <laughs> if you're just getting a bigger and better board. But You stood the entire time. Uh, towards the end. So the way that they do it, I don't know if you want to talk about it now or later, but... Um, talk about it now, we're on it. Talk about it now. Uh, so you, the, because you're... Listen, we've done racism. Yeah. Right? We've yeah. done, we've done sexual assault. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, this, so this one was a, channel, a challenge that was delayed because I tried to do it in November last year, which, funny old thing, is a terrible time to try and get good weather in the channel. So we delayed it until the tides were right again in May. And you have to do it from... Uh, uh, Dungness to Boulogne because actually the French shipping the French won't let anything human powered cross their, chan- their shipping channel unless it's swimming the channel which is different so no canoes no kayaks no paddle borders so what they do is you do the same distance that it would be from Calais to Dover but you do it a bit further south and you have to go with the tide so when the tide's going one way you head north and then the tide turns and you head south and they actually pick you up for six nautical miles in the middle because you're not physically allowed to be in that GPS stretch, the French authorities will come pick if you you're up. Human powered. You're human powered, and um, the the we had to have a safety boat because I, I didn't think about this. I thought, apart from from a safety point of view, you actually can't see where to aim at because oh, France yeah. is not on the horizon until you're well over. So the boat points in the direction of France, and you align with that because they're just tracking it on. So the what's GPS. the actual distance of the gap? Eighteen nautical miles. Oh, eighteen and and twenty-one. The, the line of sight. So the, the horizon on the ocean is fifteen nautical miles, right? Okay, possibly. Yeah, is yeah, yeah. yeah that sounds sure right. Yeah, yeah. So you don't quite see it. So yeah, you, yeah, for yeah. the first couple of miles, you you wouldn't see where you, and you wouldn't know where on the where on the coastline. That's why when you're at Dover, you can see France because yeah. it's fourteen miles, right? Uh, well, I think it's eighty. Oh, maybe maybe you can. Maybe from depending on where you are height-wise from. So at sea level. And also, uh, you wouldn't know where on the French coastline exactly for that yeah, distance. No, yeah, you yeah, wouldn't yeah. see like the port that you're aiming at. Yes, you can make miles a, away. a big margin for error there. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we had the safety boat sort of steer us all the way. But um, yeah, probably one of the easiest because it has to be so flat calm. And we actually had dolphins in the first five minutes and a seal and 45 minutes in. It got a bit tough about three and a half hours in just because it had just been quite, it's just hard work. It's just after a while, you're like, you know, paddle one side, paddle the other side. It's quite slow. You're being told to put the beans on for the safety boat because you want to make the... the he's, he's trying to navigate you across the busiest shipping channel in the world. I can't remember what the figures are, but it's hundreds and hundreds of ships go through every day. And they move... I think they're restricted to like 20 knots now or something, but they, that's fast, much faster than you. Mm. You're, and it, you wouldn't be able to judge that, judge that on your own. Um, so yeah, it was... I guess p- the potential for danger was pretty high, but the reality is the conditions have to be pretty uh, calm for you to have a crack at it mm, interesting yeah. interesting i do enjoy paddle boarding but i wouldn't want to do that far last the, the last year myself my missus and another friend called ash and we did a 
How many miles was it? I think we did 30... No, no, it wasn't 30 miles. Oh, it might have been... Th- Do you know, it might have been 30 miles on a canal, though. Nice. Yeah, okay, so dead flat, but long. Yeah, was, was it 13 miles? I think it might have been. And it took us eight hours. <coughs> and, we, and, and it said... Didn't, no, it didn't take us eight hours. It didn't take us eight hours. No, no it didn't. Okay. I think it took us six, maybe. But the, the guide... The, when I said the guide, the, 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 um, on, the canal, on the canal route thing... He said, oh, yeah, you can paddleboard it and it'll take three to four hours or something okay. like that. Like, yeah, this would be nice. <laughs> we went out completely underprepared and uh, it was the hottest day of the year at that point. Yeah. I, in my wisdom, I had brought a thermos flask of coffee and nothing else. <laughs> oh, <God>. Classic. <laughs> nothing we'll else. be fine. Yeah. Nothing else. Um, yeah, we we just we got about halfway and we were absolutely fucked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Feet were killing us. We got to the yeah. end and we just shattered. We 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 dropped off a car in the I dropped right, off a yeah. car in the morning, so we got there and got back in it. But <clears throat> hardcore. Yeah. Paddleboarding is, is is on a canal is easy. Yeah, right? it's but the extra. As soon as you get on the ocean, yeah, wow. such did, a great sport. Yeah, it's really fun. I did. I do remember getting the because they had to drive you out to, to get out of the bay at Dungness and they put you in the water and me and my friend. Um, Charlie, he was doing it. He wanted to do it for the air ambulance. And uh, we got on and we were like, we hadn't actually used these boards before. We'd borrowed them for the crossing. We were like, these are really wobbly. And we were like, and it took us about 20 minutes to get our sea legs. And at which point, you know, you're sort of just trying really hard not to shake and thinking this could go on for six hours. But in the end, we can't, We just calmed down and like, he fell in twice. I didn't, just for the record. He didn't, didn't fall in at all? No, at all. That is close, impressive. Close, but... He got he got um, annoyed because he thought mine was faster, so he made me swap, and then realised that mine was much smaller, and he's six foot five, <laughs> so, so <he> just <laughs> the board couldn't hold him. Yeah, good to see. Come back, come back to something you mentioned previously. Tell me what it was like working at the cabinet office. Can you talk about that? Yeah, really fascinating. Um, it was uh, sort of a one-off opportunity uh, with my old unit. Um, they'd helped out during the coronavirus pandemic and they just wanted to maintain that relationship. Or just on like, pl- you know, planning, extra planning capacity, that kind of thing, because in the army we're good at that. And um, so Allegedly. I got a, got a chance, yeah, exactly. Got a chance to go and work for them. And um, yeah, it just really, you get a real sense of purpose. I felt very important clip-clopping from the MOD to the cabinet office, even though I, I was thoroughly bottom of the pecking order um it was really amazing to sort of get that sort of um close-up view of machinery of government where is it in westminster opposite the mod so near right next to the cenotaph okay so like so remembrance day right outside um and uh yeah, there's so much history in Whitehall as well. I'm a bit of a history nerd, secretly. And, you you know, there's, there's the Henry VIII wine cellar in the MOD and there's, like, <coughs> the old Tudor tennis courts inside the cabinet office. There's all this, like, secret history, which the I The Henry VIII wine cellar. Yep. Tell me about that. In Did the you go MOD. Down there? Yeah, I used to go down there all the time. Oh, my God. <laughs> no actual wine down there, just pretend barrels. But... They, it was the site of it's the site of Whitehall Palace, um, where Henry VIII or many other monarchs lived, you know, hundreds of years ago, and um, yeah, they actually preserved it when they built the MOD, and it sits like two floors down, and so you can only go into it if you're a guest or a member at the MOD, and um, they often host like wine and cheese parties down there. <laughs> <laughs> but it's this big cavernous building, and it's actually set up like a little museum. It's really cool. I just found that fascinating. Well, so what else is there, history-wise? Uh, so in the cabinet office, there's, uh, I think it's called the cockpit, uh, which oh. is where, like, I think even Shakespeare, I might have got this wrong, I think Shakespeare had even, like, 
groups performed there. There's like there's a whole model section. There's a whole an old corridor that leads from the front door of the cabinet office back to the the cockpit where there's it's like there's an old fireplace and lots of portraits and things. And this is obviously they've built the the rest of the modern part of the offices around the historic bits. And there's the old Tudor tennis court, which used to be an indoor tennis court. And there's like old just they just preserve bits of old wall inside the modern um star set but there's this cool model in the corridor and it's like it's the what whitehall would have looked like a couple of hundred years ago and it says things like mistress the king's mistress's chambers and things like that you know which i think is quite cool there's so much history in the uk yeah. we take it so much for granted i think about this when i think about america and i think a young america is and they've got i, I th- just because i pay a lot of attention to america at the minute and they you know they well, they 1776. Yeah, literally a couple of hundred years old. Yeah, and we yeah. take for granted that we have been here since the beginning yeah, yeah. of time. You know, yeah. as soon as, yeah, like as soon as man, as human, as soon as Neanderthals made it across yeah, before yeah. you know Homo sapiens made it across here, then this is us. Yeah. America wasn't like that. Yeah, totally different. We got so much. Like even just, have you spent much time in Colchester? No, not really. But I'd love to with all the Roman history. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. I, you know, I was I was based there, lived yeah. there. Yeah. My God, so much. There's like a, I mean, there's a chapel around the corner. I say around the corner, there's a chapel in town. Yeah. And it's like 400 AD. It was Crazy, it's yeah. It's like so fucking old. Like, yeah. there's things that are so old here that we walk past all of the time. Blow, they'll blow Americans' minds. Yeah. Blow their minds. When was that? Yeah. A thousand BC. Yeah. And it's still here. Yeah. That, that area is where, you know, like in, in Colchester is where Cleopatra surrendered. Yeah, surrendered that is nuts. to the in. You yeah, know, the, yeah. What's the fields there? I can't remember what the fields are called, but you know, you could yeah. people go walking their dogs there. That's yeah, we well, Westminster Hall. I got <laughs> you get to you can anyone can visit it, but I went in there when I was uh, just after I finished working there, and that's where Charles the First had his head chopped off, and you can stand on the spot. I was like, no way. That, I was like, this hall is a thousand years old. It's like eleven. I won't get it wrong. Yeah. Oh my god, I love it. I went out to um, in April. My my youngest wanted to go to. Auschwitz. Oh, crikey. I know. I know. I'd never been. I've always wanted to go, but yeah. I've also always not wanted to go. Yeah. Um, and she wanted to go out there. So we went for four days or five days to Krakow. And we did. We went to see two main things. One was Auschwitz and the camps around. And the other one was recommended by a friend who'd been before was the salt mines. Have you ever been out there? No. It's not, the you know, top, like you said, top of your list of holiday destinations. It is worth But going. I would love to go, It's worth yeah. going just for the salt mines. Oh, really? When you were talking about the wine cellar and they have yeah. events down there, the salt mines in Krakow. Oh, my God. You can go down about, I don't know, it's 300 odd meters you can go down in the salt mines. And it, they're closed now. They don't, uh, so they're not operational anymore. But these things have been around since the 1800s. And the miners out there who mine this salt and bring it back up, they constructed churches, cathedrals, um, like, yeah, well, the main ones, like church, churches and cathedrals, hundred, like hundreds of meters down underground. But you could go down there and they're as big as, not St. Paul's, <laughs> but these things are massive and it's all carved out oh, of salt wow. and unbelievably intricate, yeah. like carvings and just. And unreal what they did, but you can go down and have, have events. Oh, wow. oh, they've got a they've got a massive, like a, I want to say a restaurant. But it's not a restaurant. It's literally like a what would you call it? A big. It's a massive hall which they created for when visitors would come to the to the mine, like the king or whatever would come to the mine. And they would. 
they would host them have a oh, banquet wow. and stuff and that's done you can go down and have weddings you can have meetings and all it's like a wild venue wild that venue. sounds cool yeah yeah i mean we talk about like the history in the uk but everywhere it's got an yeah, unbelievable yeah, yeah. history and then you think about the places that are untapped and it yeah history of like in the amazon yeah the things that are there although I went to, so I've just joined the Royal Geographic Society purely oh, out wow, of interest. Okay. And I was on a new members tour recently. And I said to one guy, I was like, what's left to explore? It's so frustrating. Like, I would love to be an explorer. <laughs> but I'm like, but everyone, think, apart from space or the deep ocean, I feel like most things have been covered. Maybe I'm missing something. The, like, oh yeah, I think there's some islands that haven't been done, but I think the ocean's mountains. the main one, isn't yeah. it? Well, no, the Amazon's a perfect example. Yeah, there's loads of yeah. parts out there, like, yeah, I suppose coils, deep, deep in the Amazon, yeah. Yeah, but then, I mean, you mentioned on the iceberg about space. Do you know what? Do you know what the Chinese word is for astronaut? Oh, I have learned this in that book. I, I say Chinese word, but how are you I learned it in it? that book, but I can't remember it off the top of my head. I hate Taikonaut. Yes, Taikonaut. Right, do you know what? It. The Chinese direct, tra- in, their, in the Chinese language. I read language. it, but I can't remember. That I hate, when I, this is what I've got, I'm like a sieve. I'll read a book like that and I think it's really interesting unless I regurgitate it in one ear or out the other. But yes, I go on, tell me. Universe Explorer. That's the one. Is that, was that, so what, you, it, is that what you read? It's along those lines, Universe yeah. Explorer. Yeah. That's what I got told anyway. By, uh, I used to work for a, yeah. a company called Blue Abyss. Who were, space Explorer or something, they yeah. They were um, the world's first commercial astronaut training centre. So I basically got bombarded with space stuff oh, all wow. the time. and around ex-astronauts and things like that. Yeah, Universe Explorer. And I was like, oh my God. That is the best <laughs> job title know, ever, so cool. ever. Would you go, uh, if you had a chance, would you go to the moon? If someone else paid for it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... I, yeah, I reckon I would. If the opportunity was there, I think I'd say yes. Yeah. I'm not sure I'd go. I'd rather do that than get in a submarine, I think. But yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. See, They're both as bad as each other. Yeah. I get in a military submarine. I'm like, yeah, yeah. take me anywhere. In that. Yeah, yeah. Commercially. But I don't know about that one. That What was the name of that one? The, that um, went Titan. 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 Yeah. yeah, that went down. But then the deep sea does fascinate me. Yeah. I I quite often... I say, yeah, relatively often. I'll go on a YouTube and I look at I look at look for videos of deep sea creatures that yeah. are just wild. And yeah. they are crazy looking things. The ones that never see light apart from when a submarine goes out or like yeah. or a, 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 like yes, a drone. Yes, and they've got like yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> that's super cool. Things. Yeah. I'm glad that's your weird YouTube niche. Yeah. Well, what's yours? <laughs> what's yours? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> My dad's niche is marching bands. It's so sad. What? Yeah, yeah. That or like weird, really out of date comedy. I'll just go in there and I'm like, what are you watching? And there's some like, because he's ex-military, <laughs> he'll just be like watching some like big brass band, <laughs> military band or something. What was the comedy you were talking about? Oh, just something, you know, from his from his 20s or something, you know, like, I don't, I don't Stuff you can't know. get away with now. Probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, goodness me. I I do enjoy, I do enjoy history. I do, I love, yeah. I love reading about it a lot, actually. I've just, um, I've just put into my, into Audible, I've just bought a book on Audible and it's uh, by a lady called, I can't remember her name, Myra something. And it's, it's her account of her experience with Sinn Féin. Oh, wow. Yeah, but she was, she was sexually assaulted, but she's written this book, or, and she, I think she still lives in Ireland, and it's all about her yeah, insight into Sinn Féin. Basically, oh, wow. all, I think, I think, this is a small one I found out about this, yeah. so I've, I've actually reached out to her on Twitter to try and see if she'd be interested in an interview, because it's all that whole aspect. Like, we, we have a, like an understanding of Northern Ireland from mm. ex-military or British person's point yeah. of view. 
I've actually got Irish family as well, so I've got a little bit more insight yeah. into some of it, but only at surface level. But I'd love to, I'd love to know the inner workings. I'd love to yeah. like a big reveal of what actually went on. Yeah, you know, backroom discussions yeah. and secret talks, and what actually Sinn Fein were trying to achieve, and mm. how the different breakout groups all came yeah. about. Because there's some crazy stories, aren't there? Yeah, actually, I'm going to a wedding in Ireland later in the year and uh, it's a British girl that I've known since I was born marrying an Irish guy and I know that while they were dating it was still quite a sensitive subject to her so her parents were both ex-military her dad was a brigadier and engineers mum was a nurse and but I think as for a long time in his family's view he that her parents were an engineer and a nurse didn't even mention oh, the military wow. thing yeah. well when I joined up my mother lost close friends when oh, I joined really? yeah and for, unfortunately not a lot but she lost close friends and like we were on the application to join, we have to do all disclosure for your family. I don't know if yeah. it's the same now, but yeah. then it was, and it took an, I took a while, and we had to omit certain people. Oh wow! Yeah, because it was, it was like direct IRA links and stuff. Wow. That's just the way it was. That's nice. you know, like I joined in two thousand. You know, in the previous twenty years, that's when all that shit was going down. Yeah, you know, <laughs> all that shit was going down. I went out to Northern Ireland a couple of times, but it was nothing was going on. It was quiet. Yeah. It was, you know, it was like what the yeah. fuck, pretty crap. Yeah. But uh, just before... Can't choose who you're related to either. Mm-hmm. Can't choose who you're related to. No, either. you can't. I've actually got an Irish passport now as well. Oh, cool. Nice. <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when we left the EU, I was like, oh, I need to get an Irish yeah, passport. Didn't I finally <laughs> did it yeah. I was like, okay, just make it easier at airports. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where did you surf? Where or when? Yeah. Where, where? Where, so... Um, so the only major deployment I did was to Nigeria and West Africa. That, that was Interesting. really cool. And probably a highlight of my whole 10-year career because... What were you doing there? When were you in? When were you in Nigeria? When was this? I was in Nigeria in twenty nineteen to twenty, uh, the end of twenty nineteen to early twenty twenty, and then COVID hit. So it was so COVID know. hit while I was in Nigeria. Wasn't wasn't twenty nineteen when Mr. Craighead did his thing? Ooh, not sure what you mean. Christian Craighead, the does it does it too? Um, the uh, the, the terrorist attack on the shopping centre. Mm, don't think so. I was Nigeria, wasn't it? I was a Kenya. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. So with West Africa, Nigeria. The SAS guy who went in and cleared the, cleared the shop. And I think I know what you mean, terror. but I don't remember it being while I was deployed. Hmm. Let's check right, the timelines. Let's have a look. Uh, uh, does it to terrorist attack? Oh, let's have a look online, yeah. Oh, but that's that's two. God's sake! Does, have I misspelled something there? Uh, Christian Craighead. Look at that, Craighead. Okay. Sorry, people listening. We're trying to find out. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, Kenya. There you go. Oh sh. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, oh, Kenya. Yeah, no, there you I'm go. Other idiot. side of Africa. No, it doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> Kenya. So ignore all that. <laughs> I was like, was oh, did I miss something though. really massive? Yeah. Um, okay, right, yeah, all right. So you. it wasn't, anyway. Um, so going back to West Nigeria. <laughs> what was that like? I've spe- I love Africa. Yeah, yeah. Love it. So really what was Nigeria cool. like? Amazing. I feel a bit hard done by because COVID hit in the sort of, what well, started picking up on COVID, we started picking up on COVID about January. And so about three months into my tour, everything basically turned off shut everything just shut down africa was hot on closing 2019 so i'm pretty sure deployed in 2019 and then by january february time of the next year ah. um things were sort of picking up and 
most of Africa just if you looked at if you looked at um, the airspace over Africa it was just empty because they just I think there was an awareness that the medical pathways in ma the majority of especially the West African countries or it, from my from what I knew were they just thought best thing to do is close the air close the airspace you know air travel stopped so um, that meant I was there for a bit longer than planned I was there for seven seven months rather than six but it's not much in the grand scheme of things and unfortunately the towards the end of the end of the tour. Um, I wasn't able to do any of the things that we'd planned at the beginning of the tour. So all of the sort of training courses and um, any kind of engagements had to be turned off. And so, and it sounds lovely when you're sort of sitting in 30 degrees in a compound with a pool, but anywhere can become a prison when you're trapped mm. there and you're like 5,000 miles away from home and things are kicking off in the UK and you're sort of there, not really, you can't contribute in any way. You can't, be there with your family and suddenly you're just stuck there and you're not even being useful you know you're not even doing a job you're just stuck because you're in a really small team in a country that Did you don't know covid hit there while you were there yeah so it, it literally hit and what was their reaction like what did they do so it was quite interesting um that so i was in abuja mostly which is the capital city which is it's kind of a purpose-built city literally physically in the geographic center of nigeria it used to be lagos but it was deemed to be sort of discriminatory discriminatory can't say the word because in general terms, the wealthier pop part of population in the south of the country and it gets poorer the further north you go. So to have the capital city in the south was deemed sort of unfair. So they, right about, I can't remember what year it was, several years ago, decades ago, they moved the capital city to Abuja. Wow. Um, That's a bold move. Yeah, so right smack bang in the country. And... Um, and according to the DA, the defence advisor at the time, he said for an African country in West Africa, it's actually really quite well organised. Um, lots of, um, you know, infrastructure, the infrastructure is pretty good, but there's still a huge disparity between the rich and poor. There'll be this amazing million pound complex and outside there'll be a guy fixing tyres on the street, sleeping on the street <coughs> corner, you know. And I remember going for a run one day because you, you know, have to stay fit and just seeing some guy shitting on the side of the road, staring, squatting and staring at me oh <laughs> as, I ran, <laughs> as I ran past. I was like, cool. And there's a lot of like TIA, bruv, TIA. And, um, <laughs> but yeah, absolutely incredible. I thought the culture was just amazing. They're like so friendly, like in a way that puts us to shame, I yeah. think. Um inviting you to a home, inviting to people to weddings. You know, the, the guys and girls who would work in the same our compounds would sort of invite you to their daughter's wedding. You know, it's just, just totally bonkers. Um, food's very spicy, <laughs> which I couldn't handle, but... Well, all, all, was it in, all, all of it in Nigeria? Yeah, just, yes, really? spice. Yeah, they love spice. Well, if it's not that. spicy, it's um, not good enough. <laughs> My first taste of, um, no pun intended, of, uh, of uh, like, sub-Saharan Africa was... Uganda. I went out there in 2009, and before that, I'd been to, I'd been to Tunisia on a holiday, and I'd been to, oh, that was it. I don't ever. No, I'm sure I've been to. I was. I'd only ever been to Tunisia, I think. Um, and the same thing went to Uganda, and that was. I was. I was serving. Yeah. We went doing jungle training, and we we came out of jungle. We had a couple of days. I think we had a night out before we went into the jungle, actually. In, we were in Jinja, J-I-N-J-A, it's, okay. it's spelt, and it's like the back, apparently, the backpacking capital of of, uh, of Uganda, and it's where, it's one of these must-stop places when people are going through Africa and doing it all. Long story short, remember the first time going into a bar, and um, only white faces, me and, me and two others went in there, like, obviously the only white faces, and and um, I don't know, I think, I, I think my, what I perceived that 
it was going to be like would be sort of similar to being in the Middle East when I've been out there in different, you know, non-white countries where I'm like, this is, and they're not as well off yeah. as other countries. I thought, okay, this, it could be dangerous. You like, don't trust anyone kind of thing. But I was so wrong. Yeah. And because your point, everyone's so friendly. I remember, yeah. remember we were sitting there and so, there was a guy who happened to be sitting next to me on this bench in this bar in Uganda, in Ginger. And he offered to get our drinks. We already had bought around, and he offered. Yeah. To, he saw you we were getting low, and he said, "Do you want me to go and get your drinks for you?" Yeah. And I didn't want to be impolite. Thought, okay, yeah. And I gave him the money. Watched him go off the bar. I knew how much the drinks were because you already bought them. Yeah. And he brought back the drinks. I was think I was expecting him to short change me or not come back at all. Yeah. And he came out, gave me the change. It was all right. I thought, fucking hell, it's, it was no. He was just yeah. being polite. Yeah. Just, yeah and yeah. It, it just so, everyone was super friendly, super nice. Now, question: Do you think that? Do you think they're like that with each other? Oh yes, I know. I don't. I I don't know. Maybe it's ingrained. I think. I think I got the impression that it's ingrained that you have to be welcoming. Oh, you know to better actually because you spent much more time out there than I have. Okay. Well, cool. yeah. I think I. I just get the impression that it's just part of the culture to be welcoming. I'm sure they give each other shit all the time. <laughs> they, in fact, they're quite brutal to each other. They're quite. They're much more direct at telling you know give each other feedback. I think we pussyfoot around our problems quite a lot as individuals British do yeah the British exactly do for sure. the stiff upper lip so yeah they're probably more direct with each other which is probably healthier what's the main religion out there Christianity, Christianity. and no, well in sorry in, in Nigeria it's 50-50 Christian Muslim interesting because the Muslim the Muslim culture obviously enshrined into their yeah. L- yeah, yeah, like yeah. religious law is hey be nice motherfucker yeah, yeah. <laughs> certain things you've got to do it's why the Middle East is so welcoming and pleasant yeah sometimes you yeah. know you're always going to get offered at the home you're always going to get offered chai yeah. you're always going to get offered to a yeah, place yeah. to sit down really really fascinating okay mm. yeah but, but actually one thing I do do remember is that actually being a non-believer is worse than just picking a religion I heard that when I was yeah, serving yeah just pretend to believe in something otherwise they just they don't get you at all you yeah. are like yeah have a god and they'll respect it but don't have nothing. Yeah, I first got told that when we were getting ready to deploy to Iraq for the Iraq war in 2003, and they was and they was and they were saying, yeah, make you know, just go with something. Have I was a religion on your, on your cool. ID I'm discs. On your, you know? on your ID yeah. discs, have a religion. That's better than not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just make it up. That was quite interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then I guess the other really cool bit of the tour, which was quite um, sort of brought it home, was I had to spend a couple of weeks up in the Lake Chad Basin, up uh, in effectively Boko Haram territory, um, but purely to sort of cover the. T- I was just going there to cover some the two IC from that section up there who was going on R&R. They just needed needed a warm body to go up there. And um, so that was, you fly in by civilian, ha- uh, civilian aircraft onto this very unsecure, insecure runway in Madugari in, um, in northern, northeastern Nigeria. And um, you're met by armoured car and you're immediately strapping on a pistol. And I was like, oh shit, there, this, it's hot here. It's, um, and, you know, then you're in a convoy. And it's, that convoy came to pick you up nothing else they just mm. they came to get you and then you um you get put in an uh, what what would be considered uh three i think three army officers three nigerian army officers would live there with their families it's a tiny little three roomed uh brick building in the middle of the camp there um which was a bit like rock's drift like the c- lieutenant colonel who was running it it was only a section of 12 people lieutenant colonel heading it up brits brits and um yeah, he was like, "This if shit goes down here, it's rock drift. And they had like endless amounts of ammunition and weapons and these makeshift sangers on the top of the ISO containers. Thankfully, the situation was reviewed <laughs> during COVID and um, specialised infantry actually ended up going up there afterwards. But uh, it was a case of we were on this camp, which only had a wall halfway around. The Hesco Bastions, was it? Oh. Uh, no, so this, the actual house was just a brick house in, in like where the other army officers, other Nigerian army officers and their families would yeah. live. 
And um, <laughs> but yeah, on this camp, which also had like a Mad Max type mechanics area, like Remy. Why'd you say Mad Max? Because honestly, they would like <laughs> weld tanks to <laughs> trucks. I swear to God, we drove past, and I was like, "What even is that?" You know, Nigerians would do it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what they were just. They were making do with what they had. But um, half the camp was open to the bush, and the sort of general uh, intelligence was that, you know, by day people would be working as sort of, um, you know, janitors or uh, kind of function um, facilities people in the day, and by night they'd be going off to the bush to go and, you know, be terrorists. Um, and so when you're sort of doing your stag duty on the roof, you are quite on edge because you're hearing like you're just hearing all these noises and you're also looking through your night vision and you don't know if that person is just going for a piss or if but because they're going for a piss with their rifle because that's just standard and they're half cut like they're sort of half in fatigues half not or if that's someone that's an insider threat you know that is weird and it was only for a couple of weeks but it was the closest I've been because I joined sort of at the end of Afghanistan Iraq didn't get to deploy in that area and uh, so People yeah that, listening, that's Lily yeah that's, uh, <laughs> that's Jim Dog sorry She's like, I'll kill the terrorists <laughs> you mentioned Boko Haram yeah 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 <laughs> so um, but yeah so amazing really eye-opening and I remember meeting officers of the Nigerian army and soldiers and I was like these people have actually seen shit like they've seen way more than I'll ever see mm. the Aardvark Group a sponsor of the podcast brought you this show today the Aardvark Group are a hugely experienced defence and security company who develop solutions for post-conflict zones and a complex world. They have been developing and delivering highly impactful technical solutions since 1982 through the deployment of innovative technologies, techniques, services, and people. They've been saving lives and protecting people and assets against the global threat of explosive ordnance for decades. Their equipment and their products and their technologies are developed by operators, for operators. They've got a huge proportion of their workforce who are ex-military, and they are massive proponents of the ex-military value within the industry. They answer the needs of states, NGOs, international or regional institutions, and private corporations. The Aardvark Group first became known to myself and to HR very early on when I was introduced to the CEO, David St. John Clare, who at that time was putting in significant personal effort to raise money for military charities at the height of the Afghan campaign. The Aardvark Group commits just as much energy as David within the company to support the military community, and this has been demonstrated through the Armed Forces Employee Recognition Scheme Awards. You can find out more about the Aardvark Group at aardvark.group, and you can follow them on social media. They're on Twitter, they're on Instagram, and they're on Facebook. Simply search for The Aardvark Group and you will find them. I strongly suggest you do, and they will certainly appreciate the follow and the engagement from HR fans. Aardvark.group. Right, so what were Boko Haram, or are Boko Haram trying to achieve? Brief me up. Oh, God, you're going to test my... I'm a bit rusty. Well, just, no, you don't have to uh, get, pick it. Well, you can get shit wrong, it's all right. <laughs> what I do know is that, it, this is going to be politically sensitive probably, um, that it's in the Nigerian army's interest or defence uh, interest not to solve the problem because unfortunately there is a lot of corruption in Nigeria. So when there's a problem, funding gets put towards the defence sector of which a lot gets scraped off the top. Um, are we talking about uh, Are we talking about Nigeria or are we talking about Ukraine? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, 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 steer away from oh. that one. Continue, <laughs> <Yeah>. continue. Um, 
but ultimately it's oh no i feel like it gets wrong but it's just regional regional politics so they, they want control basically of of land the, the population um they, they so want to were they a political group originally and became terrorist organization oh you're already testing me here sorry i uh, know i'm um i'm out i would whatever i say i'll get it wrong so i feel yeah i'm just rusty now it's sort of let's fun. listen let's google it okay i'm loving having this other i just i'll I'll say it and i'll feel like i'll say it wrong or boko haram we're doing a service to the listeners yeah 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 we educate listeners so there's there's two terrorist groups in northern northeast nigeria two main ones boko haram and um isil oh look at this love wikipedia if it's right yeah so the reason we were out there initially was because of the kidnapping of the chibok school girls which was quite famous. There was like um, quite a large number of, I think you might even say it here. Okay, the Boko Haram insurgency began in July 2009 when the militant Islamist and jihadist rebel group Boko Haram started an armed rebellion against the government of Nigeria. Against the government and it's religious in The conflict has taken place within the context of long-standing issues of religious violence, love religion, love it, religious violence between Nigeria's Muslim and Christian community. Ah, okay. And the So Boko Haram... Predominantly Isla- Islamic, yeah. then. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so the kidnapping, the kidnapping. Where was that? Then? 2015. Here you go. There Chibok. 1415. There you go. Chibok. On 15th Two, of April. 276. There you go. Yeah, on the 14th of April 2014, Boko Haram terrorists abducted 276. I vaguely remember this. Yeah, now. it was a big thing. Like female Michelle pupils. Michelle Obama got involved. There was a, there was a big thing about bring back our girls. It was like hashtag. Who the Dalai Lama? Uh, Michelle Obama. <laughs> but lots of people got involved in this huge sort of social That's media right. outpouring right. to try yeah, and help yeah, get yeah. them back. And I think that the operation I was on was initiated off the back of off the back of that. Ah. Um, it sort of evolved. It's evolved since then. And then he kidnapped another eight girls. Jesus, imagine that! All those girls going. Do they get them back? The Operation Tourist. That's what I was on. Uh, I think uh, some over time. Yes. Operation Tourist. Okay, yeah. Some of them, but not all of them. I don't believe so. Oh no. Well, it's been so many. It's been so long now as well. But yeah, what was it's um, and I think. Two hundred and seventy-six. Fuck's sake. Man. Thing is, <laughs> terrorism like this is never going to go away. No. And if it's not religion that's, the, religion, that's the excuse, it'll be something else. Yeah. It's never going to go away. Yeah. I say, but I think it's about how you minimise it impacting other countries outside of the one it's in. Yeah. And that's, I think it's hard to get to the British public and get them to understand that just because this isn't directly affecting it yet, why it's still important that we try and help um but what i what was really interesting so my job was supposed to be helping with um alternative means of trying to influence or trying to help the situation and although it evolved on from the chibok kidnappings it was, it was still all about helping to combat violent, violent extremism in northeast nigeria and whether that was isil or boko haram and it was trying to look at things like uh, how can you you know identifying different target audiences and trying to identify how it's best to communicate with them did you say isil why am isil bothered about nigeria is it isil or I, I think there's isis or is it isis the same thing um there's different variations so there's there's groups in northeast nigeria as well why is that cuz i thought so isil and isis i thought were all about i'm going to get the, them all bringing about the again. Le- <laughs> uh, bringing about the um the levant levant yeah levant which is which is not in africa yeah. that's the middle east 
That's like Iraq. Yeah, there's, there's, Iraq, Syria, Turkey. Yeah, no, there's definitely factions uh, in really? Africa as well. Yeah, and just pick up on the on the Islamic ideology. Um, Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, there's like a huge net. You, there's probably there's a, probably, oh, probably like you can probably find it. it. Like there's a whole network um, of different factions of Islamic State, and they're they've got different statuses of relationship between each other, which I couldn't reel off the top of my head right now. I'd have to look it up. Weren't AQ out there for a while? Possibly, but not. There wasn't something that we were operating. We were sort of working mm. with, but um, it was all about yes. Yeah, so it's all about um, trying to think about alternative way, means of influencing people. Um, so, and in Nigeria, a lot of that is people are the literacy rate is quite low. So a lot of communication is done by um, local, like local religious leaders, um, <coughs> music, dance, plays. So I, we got to uh, work alongside some NGOs in terms of trying to educate people on um how to how to resist sort of being recruited into these organizations because some of the biggest problems was that actually they paid pretty damn well and they fed you and they clothed you so that's your option and, and the structure and there's discipline yeah, structure and discipline there's protection that might be the only authority you've seen as a young kid in your entire life because you're so far away from it's a lot like afghan sounds a lot yeah. like afghan with the taliban you know for all the people that I found it really bad, a lot of people, it was really good that they were ruling. Yeah. I'm not saying that no. Taliban are good. I'm just saying like, it was a better Job option security. than not. Yeah. You know. Um, uh, what was I going to ask you then? So I love, I love the topic of influencing people. I love it. Like the, that behavioral... Science. Science yeah. almost. Yeah. yeah I've, so when I was serving, I was very lucky to go and do the psychological... Operational Psy-ops. operations planner course, course yeah. military science. Yeah, I was I was deploying to Afghan in a int role, um, but I was I was like put into that role quite late on, right? And missed the boat on the the bog standard int course that was available to yeah. power edge guys, power edge guys at the time, and there happened to be a space left on the science planning course, which was for captain, major, and above. Yeah. And just like me, bumfuck, <laughs> Sergeant Keir on, on this. And there happens to be one other, there was one other guy in it who was a senior NCO, a non, you know, non-commissioned. And he was a flight sergeant from the RAF. And that was interesting because he had been one of the, he had, he had accompanied the weapons inspectors to Iraq, pre-Iraq invasion 2003 to go and do the WMD inspections. Oh, wow. He went out with the, the UN inspectors to protect them onto the site. That was a fascinating conversation. I bet, yeah, I bet. That was a fascinating... <laughs> like, there was no inspecting getting done there no, whatsoever. Oh, He's oh, like, mate, we didn't do anything. Um, but back onto it. Yeah, the subject of influencing people because it's such... It, it has applications everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Like, that stuff you learn in a military aspect, absolutely applicable in the civilian aspect. Yeah, Everything, yeah. It's, it's influence. Have you heard of... Cal- I'm guessing you heard of Caldini's uh, Six Forms of Influence? No. If you're not, you're like that. Go check on, it, tell check me. It out. So there are six ways, supposedly. I mean, I've, I tried to do this to my ex-boyfriend and work. Um, but there, <laughs> <laughs> there are six ways, though, um, that you're supposed to... Powers, that's it, six powers of persuasion. How you can... Uh, um, it's to do with... Um, yes, I'm trying to remember the six. So reciprocity. So if you give something to someone, they're more likely to give you something back. Social proof. So if it's sort of um, mutually agreed or uh, what's the word? Agreed by a group of people, you're more likely to agree. Um, I'm going to. You might have to Google the rest of, of them. Um, Six powers of persuasion. Yeah, uh, yeah. Caldini's powers of persuasion. I can't see it. 
I can never on top of my head. Oh, you got reciprocity. Reciprocity. Scarcity. Scarcity, yes. It makes something rare and people are going to want it more. Like, oh, there's only five new iPhones. Yeah. You know, I'm going to get it. What else? Authority. Authority, yeah. So that's an easy one. I'm in charge. Do what you're told. Uh, it's kind of on the screen right now. Come on, raise it. There it is. Yeah, reciprocity, scarcity, authority, commitment and consistency. So talk about the authority one. The authority. Well, yeah, that's, so that's more sort of like... If you tell them to do something. Yeah, tell them to do okay. something you'll do it if that authority is respected of course hang on sorry going back like scarcity say because when you were talking through that i was googling yeah sure okay go from the beginning so reciprocity easy uh i give you something you're more likely to give something back so that could and that doesn't have to be goods it can be i've given you some information vice versa you give it back scarcity if you make something rare people are more likely to want it it's like that's how sales tactics work and a lot of this is transferable into the marketing world Authority, if someone's in a position of recognised authority or power, you're more likely to do what you're told. Teacher, officer, supposedly. Yeah. <laughs> senior, senior NCO, let's say. Um, <laughs> commitment and consistency. You know, if you are loyal to the cause, you're more likely to do something. Social proof. If, if you want to fit in with your tribe, you're going to go along with what the general consensus is. And liking, if someone likes you, and that links quite closely to a lot of the other ones, to the reciprocity, they're more likely to do what you ask them to do or give them what you want. So if you can, if you can apply all of those to like a, you can use this in marketing and you can use this in, I don't know, getting someone, I don't know, on board for a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so oh, there's only one spot left on my podcast series. I did not use it? that on you. No, no. <laughs> um, I feel like I've learned these on that course and forgotten them. Yeah, yeah. So who is who is uh, Kildini? Professor, uh, psychology professor. It's quite an old. Uh, um, reference now I think but quite famous in this world that makes sense though yeah I think it's just sort of clarif- like really laying out you know the, the means you have to influence and I don't think you have, you have to be very Machiavellian about it you can you can just be like well you know I also like you but it helps that I also need something from you you know mm, um, yeah on that on that course they had some guest speakers in and I there was t- I wish I could remember the detail of what they were talking about but one of them was, it was two of them. One of them was a civil servant. And I think they're both civil servants, actually. And one of them was responsible, had been responsible for um, persuading the British media that invading Iraq was a good idea. Not persuading the public, oh, God. persuading the British media. Yeah, no such thing as public opinion, published, no. published opinion. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. And uh, he was talking, like, he went into detail about how they planned the first the the press conference the press press conference the first time they were bringing the press in what they did before the actual press conference happened everything leading up to it this this persuasion this you know psychological um, influence on them before they turned up like just well you know it's just sub, subliminal things things yeah. they wouldn't even notice oh, yeah, yeah. to get them on side that was yeah, the, yeah. that was a gentleman who did that and he was a, I wish I could remember they were fucking fascinating and then the another person who came and spoke. And she worked for the government at the time. And she had been given, I think it was in the late 90s or the early noughties. So I did this course in, it would have been 09. 09, I think I did it. And, no, 2010. And she had had the responsibility for leading a campaign, again, not against, targeting the British public, but targeting uh, women who were most likely to be teenage teenage pregnancies to, oh wow yeah, yeah because yeah. there was a I don't remember but there was a, apparently a big teenage pregnancy 
epidemic at some point late 90s early noughties yeah and she talked through how they went about that campaign like yeah from who, how do we work out who we want to target because the obvious answer is well you want to target the you want to target young girls yeah but they're not yeah yeah but yeah. you break that down but, and they're not also they're not the only ones yeah it's like parents yeah boyfriends back to target school audiences. teachers it might not it's, be who you think it's going to yeah, be yeah peers not just you know it's, it's yeah it was incredible to listen yeah, to incredible yeah. to listen to well you could you could prime people in here if you wanted um you could put things on the walls that made them think a certain way even if you wanted them to relax more you could put like relaxing messaging on the board well what about this one from Janie mcgill there you go hope, hope is the mother of all men or is that a bit on- ominous no i like that that's cool <laughs> yeah aliness saves lives i prefer that <laughs> <laughs> do you know do you know that term comes from no i don't actually it's uh colonel tootle so okay. colonel tootle was the uh, ceo of three para oh in 2006 right. uh, at the time of that tour yeah. and he was the first one who said it so uh, you know Ali and Ali <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and he said um, he literally said it on a he said it in a brief to I think it was all the script I can't remember it was, it was a brief and then he repeatedly said it in briefs was, no mission briefs and then he said it once it was public it was like on a it was on an interview or something. I can't remember what it was on, but he said it publicly. And then it was like fucking earlier. Alina saves lives. Alina saves yeah. lives. Everyone loved it. I think it's true yeah. because if someone feels like they're like a rock star, they'll, if you feel like you're hyped up and you're in it because you feel like you're well, Ali. that depends on your definition of Alina, okay. right? Because <laughs> yeah. people who are not... Not Ali. Well, no. Because I think people who don't, uh, who aren't power edge, right? And ingrained okay. with the understanding of yeah. Alina. Okay. They think a different thing. Okay. Well, what's your thing? <laughs> You've gone right. <laughs> oh God, no! I wrote I've... a big article on this. Did you? Yeah, oh, okay. it's very popular. It the, the definition of aliness. Okay. So, what's your what's your um? Uh, being shit hot at what you do, but like looking the part as well, <laughs> like looking what you, like you know what you're doing and being good at it. it no, it's no? not. It's not to no? do. Uh, it's not necessarily to do what you do. Okay. Right. So. I don't know if that's a good. Look at this. Here's my this friend. This goes viral at least once a year. Right, let's bring it up. Yeah, so like to do it. looking looking hot, but in a I guess it's efficiency, isn't it? Yeah, it's the efficiency the, part. Here we go. Right, here we go. The definition. I'm very proud of this. Took me it took me a while. Fair uh, enough. It's quite lengthy. I'm not gonna go through it all. But but it's it's basically mo- it's, it's Oh like, I'm with you now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, Origin of Alley. Be shit hot of stuff. Origin right? of Alley. Yeah. Alley the evolution of Alley. I love it. <laughs> I went this is such a para <laughs> <laughs> This is like Jesus yeah, Christ. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> saves lives. The phrase Alina saves lives pay homage, pays homage to one of the early meanings of the word and the belief that choosing function, function and efficiency, efficiency of yeah, okay. clothing over simply looking smart improves the efficiency of a unit, okay, making it. them a better... Look at this, impressive. That's what I mean by shit edge, mate. That's way more academic <laughs> than... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but people think Ali is just trying to look cool. No, it's not. No. It's not. Like... No. But, it's, you know, issue kit can sit. It's oh, it's 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 good up to a point. Yeah, but you can definitely improve it. It's oh, better definitely. boots you can buy. There's modifications yeah. you can make yeah, to kit. Yeah. All of that stuff. Yeah. But don't do it because it looks cool. Yeah. Do it because it improves how good a soldier you are, yeah, or yeah. sailor, or air woman, yeah, or yeah. airman. Yeah, yeah, airman. You're getting airman. all woke on me now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> how do we go on? How do we go on to um, We're talking about influencing, but. And we're talking about how you could prime someone. And I just wanted to f- say before I forget, if you've not watched the Darren Brown video with Simon Pegg, um, he, it's a really good one to understand priming. So Darren Brown basically persuaded Simon Pegg that he wanted a BMX bike when he didn't. 
you have to watch the video to oh, understand. Brown. But it's so really cool. So well, in short, I don't want to spoil it. But okay, caveat: don't want to, if you don't want to, um, you don't want to spoil it. Skip ahead. Um, but basically, uh, you get Simon Pegg to write down a piece of paper before, like a few weeks before they meet. What would you want for Christmas? If you could have anything in the world, what would you write? And he writes down a leather jacket, folds it up, puts it, signs it, seals it, puts it in his wallet. Simon Pegg does. Simon this. Pegg, yeah, the yeah. actor comedian. And he puts in his wallet and leaves it there for weeks. Comes to meet Simon Pegg, and you watch the video. You watch it happen from start to finish. And um, by the end, Simon uh, Darren Brown says, "Right, what do you want? What did you? What do you want for Christmas?" And he went, "I want a BMX bike." And he opens the, and he opens it, and he's like, "Holy shit!" And he's got leather jacket written down. And throughout the whole course of that interview, that conversation. Darren Brown is changing his mind. So his influence is priming him. And things like there are BMX type shapes on the walls around the room. He uses like uh, X. He uses the the way he uses his language was like, I can't replicate. Basically, he influences him in such a way that he honestly believes that he wrote down BMX bike in that on that piece of paper. Oh, he'd forgotten he'd written leather jacket. Yeah, yeah. He totally, he totally believed. He was like, I, I... that's not what I wrote. And oh he 100% my god! Wrote it. I feel like Darren Brown has no chance holding down a relationship. <laughs> it's like I couldn't, I yeah. couldn't have, a, I couldn't have. Not that I want another relationship. I love my fiance very much. Yeah, yeah. But I couldn't have a relationship with like a someone like that. Yeah. So I'd be constantly thinking, Are they manipulating me? Yeah. Am I here because I wanted to be here, or because you want me to be <laughs> yeah, here? Yeah. Like what yeah, is going yeah, on? Yeah. Have you seen the? What? He's amazing. I, I should watch more of his stuff. Actually, have you seen? I assume you've watched a lot of his stuff. Uh, sort of off the back of that, you, you know, you go down your YouTube. Holes. Have you seen the one where he he says he will he will engineer it so that a person will bet on horse races and win ten times in a row at ten different races? Have you seen that? No, but I want to be that person. <laughs> oh my god! So you watch the you watch the you watch the program and basically start as I recall, it starts off and this. He says to this person, right, you're going to go in. I'm going to, I'm, you go and put a bet on a horse, uh, any horse you want. And I guarantee you that you're going to win. Right. But the ca- the caveat is when you win that money, you have to put it on another bet. Oh, wow. On another horse and, a, and another race I'm going to tell you to go to. And you have to do it 10 times. So this person wins 10 oh times God. and every time he's winning you know it's like thousands yeah. and th- at the end it's thousands Jesus, and thousands and they win yeah. 10 times and it's at different races it can't possibly be set up he's not paying off the jockeys he's not drug yeah, yeah, he's yeah. like how the fuck do you do that and the program's about how he did it right it's all probability okay so he worked out the probability of the a person being able to do that and it was something in the vicinity y'all I'm going to pull a number out of my ass 500,000 to one Jesus. half a minute to yeah, one yeah. right so what they did was this is before the program's made yeah. they had a campaign to, f- to get they, and they told people you're going to take part in a, in a TV series in a, in a competition and you're going to win ten times on the horses and they get half a million people to take part oh. each time okay. so they got half a million people in race one Got it. I was going to say they've had to do this multiple times. Yeah, a load okay. of them lose, a load of them pass, a load of them go on to the next. So they win the first one. They go, oh my God, I won. Yeah. And they told me I was going to win. But the ones that didn't win, like, you fucking talking shit. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. they didn't win. Yeah. You know, they get, I think they, maybe they got the money, but I yeah, don't know. Something right? Like the rest go on to it. And slowly but surely, like, the ninth race, is only like a few of them left. They don't know about each other. Yeah, yeah, they don't yeah. know. Oh, wow. They think they're the only one. Oh, right? Wow. And they get to the last race and only one of them wins. And they okay. don't know they're there. Yeah, so one yeah, person. Yeah. 
has run 10 times and they've been told it's going to happen and they're like holy fuck so when they <laughs> when they show this at the start of the program all yeah. you see is that one person won 10 times yeah it's yeah, amazing it's that amazing very cool. it is amazing very cool. he's he is a fantastic yeah fantastic yeah i'm gonna watch more now <laughs> it's the same with magicians right because mm. magicians are the same thing yeah it's like part it's sleight yeah. of hand but part of it is yeah where they want you to look yeah. and not yeah, look yeah. I wish I was that clever. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, I say that I know some solid magicians. <laughs> <laughs> I say I know some. I may or may not know one. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Man of no, many, I say solid. So. I don't say solid. They just they're quirky. I don't mean solid. Oh, okay. They're quirky, aren't they? Oh, okay. They're quirky. Yeah, yeah. They just yeah. They, you have to be a different kind of human to operate at yeah. that level of discipline. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> what's your What's your hobby? My hobby are oh, adventures. Um, yeah, that's an excellent segue into your adventures. I, yeah, I know. <laughs> I play a lot. I play the guitar badly. Uh, have a dog, and I'm always doing. I always want to be. I want to be good at stuff. That's my thing. I want to be. I want to be. I want to be like. Oh, I just want to be able to apply myself to most things and be all right at it. You know, like the, mostly. I think that's a physical thing. Like that's derived from being in the military and physical. Physical robustness has always been a part of who I am and what I want to maintain going forward. Were you adventurous before you joined the military? um yes i guess so but i never really thought about it i just mum and dad you know they'd taken us on lots of cool family holidays um i sort of wrote something down recently i do a bit of journaling and i was like they they uh could have sent me to a really fancy school if they'd wanted i'm sure but i'm so glad they didn't because we spent that money on nice holidays that we, we left the country and experienced other cultures and things and that i think got me excited i yeah, I had a I had an uncle. I have I do have an uncle who was special forces, so that was a big inspiration. I should have said him at the beginning. Actually, I think that always spiked oh, my interest. Yeah. yeah. Um. So he was SAS and SBS, and I think Ali. That's yeah, Ali. There we go. That's Ali. Um. And I think he definitely set the bar in terms of like what was what robust looks like. SAS and SBS. Yeah. It's He's a which one first? Grumpy Uncle Johnny, but actually annoyingly quite good at his what he did. Uh, so, oh God, this is like before I joined the army. So, is his is his story public? Uh, possibly, I don't know. Okay. Probably not. Probably not. Um, but yeah, just just impressive in terms of what he achieved. He was eight years younger than my dad, so he was like my cool young youngish uncle. Um, so that definitely, you know, he was always like, what you know what are you going to do that's exciting and, and you know if, how's the running going and um sort of encouraged me alongside my parents to be fit and healthy and active and I think that probably evolved dad encouraged me to join the cadets at university and then I thought this was great I'm getting paid to do adventurous stuff so I joined the army mostly through lack of um I think uh inspiration as to what to do with my life so I just you fell joined as an officer right yeah yeah so did I went, you go to uni went to university first yeah but you're saying you're not academic yeah, but I did geography. I did six hours of Jewish in a week. That was it. I just had a great time the rest of the time. You didn't? Yeah. Six hours? Six hours. I'm so glad I didn't pay what they pay now. It's like, it was a third... For how long? Three years. Six hours a week? For three years, on average. And you got a degree for that? Yep. I mean, I'm not... I'm good at, I scraped a 2-1. Oh, I know. I scraped a 2-1. <laughs> Jesus! Yeah. yeah, yeah. I failed on my modules and scraped a 2-1 by... Did point, you? 0.2 points. <laughs> I was like, yeah, but do you know what? All the mugs who like worked harder and still looking got a two on. I was like, who's a mug? Oh my god! Why mm. is it only six hours a week? Because you're supposed to do a lot more studying, and I didn't. 
I think that's that's, oh. that's six hours of tuition. That's six hours of lectures, and you're supposed to do like lots of self study. Is that kind of the average for uni courses? I think for a human humanity uh, humanities course, maybe if you do like physics. Sorry, the dog's no, scratch, right, scratching right. me. Lily. Uh, if you if you do physics or a science based one, you're probably going to do a lot more or technology. But humanities, you're sort of supposed to go off and and do your own re reading. Or you when you go you do go on um, on uh, field trips, then that, that's obviously full time, and you go and do your research and collect samples or whatever. Um, and then you're supposed to come back and spend hours doing coursework. But you're at university, you have a great time. I learned how to be a, how to be an adult at university. Like how to feed myself. And <laughs> where did you? Where was it? Southampton. Okay. So not didn't go very very far afield, uh, but it was great. And they had a great um, officer cadet force, and uh, that you know that introduced me to like cross country skiing and you know green skills. And I found myself enjoying it. Like I just loved it. it was, you yeah. officers are a different. I breed. know we're weird, aren't we? Different breed. <laughs> what, what, um, was that your first experience with them? Oh, apart from your parents, parents, obviously. but they weren't. While I was born, I was never a pad brat or anything like that. No, so, so. you, so officer cadets were your first, first thing. So when I was eighteen, nineteen years old. Yeah. Why did you? Why did you end up joining that? Then? Just dad. My dad was like, he encouraged me. He said, I think you'll, I think you'll enjoy it. I think he must have picked up on the fact that I'd been on like some sailing expedition. Like I paid, I'd chosen to go on like sailing expeditions. Or I'd chosen to go to Belize when I was eighteen. With uni. No, no, off the my own back. So oh, nice. I went to Belize for five weeks with like a trek, trek force, thing, like a you know a youth youth trip to the jungle and I was like this is this is epic I get to wield a machete for five weeks and chop trees down and do you know a bit of eco ecology type stuff and I think that's why I was like geography army officer sort of blends um, I, th I think international travel is one of the most important yeah. things that young young people can do for their own development yeah or parents can do to encourage them to do yeah just yeah. get out and travel like yeah the, the most I don't know I feel like not the most accomplished but sort of the most worldly sensible down-to-earth people i meet are ones who have traveled from young had the opportunity to travel from a young age not necessarily been constantly traveling but they've you know they've been at different places when they were young yeah. and not <coughs> you know not bog standard holiday somewhere you know every year or whatever they, yeah they've they've experience. seen different cultures yeah, yeah. And, and and experienced different languages and different people and yeah different climates yeah you know I, I, yeah i have um i think i have two points on that one is definitely when i was 18 i was in the middle or 17 18 in the middle of the belize jungle and i like remember landing on the runway in the middle of nowhere and like burst into tears because i was like where am i and i just got off this rickety aircraft in the middle of nowhere like that's the furthest i've ever been from home and then those five weeks later, I was like, that was the most formative experience of my life. You know, being there by myself with a bunch of, like the age range there was mental. There was everyone from 17 to in their 40s, people getting, and often they were getting over like trauma, which I think links into doing adventures. But some people were getting over like a drug addiction. Someone was getting over the death of a mother. Someone was getting over a divorce. People, so how was it organized? This was a company you could just sign up to. It's Trek, a company called Trek Force. Um, and they did expeditions all over the world and anyone could sign up. Um, and um, I remember being like, who am I on this, who am I on this trip with? Like, I'm not coming here from like from a place of trauma, but actually it was really interesting to hear all these people, that stories I never would have met had I not left or joined this um, this trip. And yeah, I think it was four weeks in the jungle and a week in, on an island somewhere where they were diving or whatever. But um, yeah, it was just amazing to feel so remote and we had a Belize Defence Force guy with us because we were on the board near the border with Guatemala 
<coughs> and so there's quite a lot of smuggling and um, you could hear like the horns of the smugglers in the, in the night when you're sleeping in your hammocks. The horns? Yeah, so they used to use horns to, like, I think it's horns to communicate with each other. I didn't know that. Uh, something like that. And um, and I remember hearing them in lying in your hammock in the dark and you're like, oh my God. And you're like, when you're 18 years old, that's terrifying. And you can hear like rustling in the bushes and you, there's like poison ants and snakes and you, like, you know. The jungle's a wild yeah. place to be, isn't it? Yeah. And, wild uh, place to be. Yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. And so it was a sort of, my dad was like, we well, love that. So join the cadets. And I think, yeah, like I said, lack of imagination, didn't know what else to do. So join the army. <laughs> and <laughs> I was total mug because I didn't go for the, uh, but you can get a bursary if you go through, get, get the army to pay for university. But yeah. I held off and held off because I was like, oh, do I really want to do that? And then by the end I said, any chance I can get a bursary? And they were like, on your bike. <laughs> <laughs> it's too late. Too late. Yeah. 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 Oh my God. Well, um, what did the, did the officer cadets actually set you up well for uni or not? Uh, for, for the army or not? Actually, don't get me wrong. There's, there was plenty of drinking and plenty of parties, but they do put you through your modules. I don't know what they, what they are now, but they teach you. And, and I do have to say, when I got to Sandhurst, my first term was a lot easier for me than people who had never touched. Mm. Like I knew how to iron my uniform. You know, the first month or so is about, like, this is how you iron uniform, this is how you polish your shoes, this is the language. March. Exactly, this is how you march. And I, d- I learnt that to a reasonable stand. You know, re- I was a cadet, let's be honest. But it, it gave me a head start, definitely. Um, and it's more, they don't care, the officer training course, if you join the army or not. They, they're they trying to just produce leaders across the board. They're trying to, ins- oh, really? they, don't, they don't mind that, yes, of course, it's a, it's a recruitment pipeline, but they don't mind that people go off into industry because then they have an appreciation of the military elsewhere in in, in the UK. Yeah, in industry. like advocates. Yeah, advocates for the military. And now if you look at the armed, um, what's it, the the scheme, the Armed Forces Covenant. Yeah. So lots of people will say, oh, I used to be in the, used to be in the officer training corps or I used to be in cadets or, and they've never touched the mainstream military, but they have an appreciation and that's sort of part of the aim. Of these, and you got the employer recognition scheme as well. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, interesting. So cool. Did uh, how did you find Sandhurst? How did that stack up for you? I always say it was the best and hardest year of my what life. What year did you go? Twenty twelve, Jan to December. Any power edge there, officers, uh, 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 instructors. Oh, instructors. Do you know what? It's a blur. 20, 20, it's ten years in fact, ago. Joining out on a limb because this is interesting. <laughs> this is interesting. So. I was supposed to be there in twenty twelve. Okay. Yeah. One of the reasons I left. The military, one of the reasons that tipped me over the edge is they wanted to send me to Sanders as an instructor. Um, I didn't want to go. I wanted to go to Brecon. Right. And instruct in Brecon. Real army, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to go. You know, the other thing with Sanders is um, at the time I was married. And it's full on. Like, yeah, and, no and time. For instructors. So I went down and spent some time down there. Like, he did like a look at life, look at instructor life down there. Spent time talking to the guys who were down there, power edge instructors who were down there. And they said that of the instructors who go to Sanders and they and they don't bring their family with them. So the family stay in the, in the, in the household or wherever. The time I was in Colchester, and they don't. The, the divorce rate is 70%. 70%. Yeah. And there was a housing... Well, there always is a housing shortage down yeah. there. And, like, the, the nearest pub we would have got is, like, seven... I mean, the irony is I got fucking divorced anyway, like, oh. six years later. But if I had gone down that path, so I would have been... I would have gone to Sandhurst in 2011 if I passed the instructor selection... 2011 I would have been I would have been nowhere yeah. near there this would have but been I t- wasn't I would have been terrified Lucky to come you. back <laughs> yeah, they, but they, there was no power uh, there may no, not have been any power edge there had, it was a massive issue power edge didn't want to go there uh, we had um, a lot of Scottish 
uh, regiment. Uh, um, yeah, my CSM and all all three color sergeants were. We couldn't understand the word they said. Uh, the accent, the accents were so strong. We were, we were like, "What did what did he just ask us to do?" <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's an interesting. I mean, talk about history. There's history there. Oh yeah. Wow. Very cool. Yeah. Wow. Um, but yeah, hardest hardest year of my life. But just so was it really so formative. Well, I think it's just hard physically and. But I, lo- I loved it because you don't think about anything else. I think it's probably the same in any kind of training. You are, you know, you're fed, you're watered, you're clothed, you've got somewhere to sleep at the end of the night, whether that's a basher or a bedroom. And your world is your your section or your platoon and the, the colour sergeant is God. And, you know, you just don't have to, nothing exists outside those walls and you just, you focus, you get to focus on your own development. That's one of the things I miss about the military. Yeah, and I know you, you know you're doing your challenges last year for, for, to re, to raise money and awareness, yeah. and to support mental health charities and things, yeah. right? And one of the things I miss about the military, and I think why a lot, a lot, yeah, maybe, maybe a reason a lot of people are struggling to come out is that's so wildly different. Mm. All of a sudden, all those control measures and guardrails that you have, and worries that you don't have, are now all present. You don't have to worry about anything else. You don't have to worry about, you know, for most. For most non-commissioned personnel, probably the most of us serving now, most of them will be living on camp or in yeah. FIA. Most of them will be feeding themselves at the cookhouse. Most of them will have minimal bills they have to worry about, like phone bill, yeah, phone Xbox bill. 360 subscription, yeah. fuel, car insurance, nothing else. Now, when you yeah. leave, if that's the only thing you've known since you were yeah. a kid and you leave, you go, oh my God. That's growing yeah. up. You go, oh my god! Yeah, you don't realize the package that you're on either. Uh, like, what do you mean? I have to yeah. pay for the dentist. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I put that off so far. <laughs> I yeah. should really go. But you know, what? I still can't get my head now. I, like bank holidays. Yeah. And leave. I, you know, I've got I've got loads of annual leave. I always end up every year with annual leave because I've only been really in a proper civvy job in a for about three years. Yeah. Before that was like all over the place doing different shit. Bank holidays, like. All civilians who have been civilians for a long time know where the bank holidays are. They know it because they've yeah, had, they've had like, bank holidays what? all their life. We used to work them. I haven't got a clue yeah. where they are. I haven't got a clue where they are. And, and, and you'll leave. Yeah. You know, silly things. like it was. You get told when you're having your leave. Yeah, yeah, you don't yeah. get an option to do that. Yeah. And heaven forbid trying to book a holiday when you get put on guard. Yeah. You're losing the holiday. Whereas now you're like, I can take leave whenever I want. <laughs> I know, okay, I know. Well, I'm going to do know. that. We've been yeah. taken up. So my company in Marsat has been taken over by, um, we've been bought by another company called Viasat, an American company. Viasat doesn't even have an annual leave policy. Ooh. Check that out. Unlimited. They're, unlimited. They're like, wow. you take leave when you want to take leave. I would not be good there. Like, what? Yeah, but <laughs> you know what they've found and companies do this found? People don't do it. Yeah, people take less leave. Oh, wow. Yeah, take less leave. I'm like, there's a quota there. That's an aiming mark. Well, I'm going to go. Well, if there's no quota, people take less leave. They just <laughs> oh, take it when they need okay. it. Supposed to. But look at me, for example. I think I've got two and a half weeks I need to take at the end of the year. Oh, crikey, yeah. Yeah, but, uh, but that means I haven't needed it the rest yeah. of the year. And I certainly don't need it now. Yeah. Well, or maybe a week at Christmas. But <laughs> it's interesting, isn't yeah, it? Those, yeah. Yeah. The old woke, woke, progressive. Uh, we like policies. it. It works for. Like we it. like some parts of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, um, artillery. What was your second choice of unit, or was that your second choice? Uh, I was torn between the engineers and the artillery because at the time women weren't you weren't allowed to join the infantry or the armoured corps. And that's no, that's a. Change. The good old days. The good old days. <laughs> <laughs> joking, uh, I'm joking. I think I would have. You're going to hate me. I think I would have gone for the Armoured Corps if um, I'd had the option. Why would I hate you? Because you're, inf- you're infantry. I don't know. Yeah. No, I don't know. Judge me. I'm not infantry, mate. I'm power <laughs> Okay, sorry, sorry. Um, but yeah, I, I think I would have... Because I ultimately 
join the army because I wanted to be in the army. I didn't really think about what it is I wanted to do in the army. And my experience had been a cadet, you know, which is very basic. And so I realised my mistake too late on because other people had really thought ahead as to what they wanted to do, whether they wanted to specialise in signals or intelligence or... And I was like, I don't know, I just want to, like, do army. And and, um, so it got to, like, choosing a cat badge. And I said to my dad, who was an engineer, what should I pick? And he was like, well... You know, I'm I'm not gonna. You know what I'm gonna say? I was like, great, you're useless, and um, honestly, fifty fifty. And I I still question that to this day because I think it's comes down to personalities. This show is brought to you by Rugby for Heroes. Rugby for Heroes are a not-for-profit organisation formed in 2009 in the wake of the death of Private Joe Whitaker, who was sadly killed serving on operations with the Parachute Regiment in Afghanistan. Since Joe's death, Rugby for Heroes have raised in excess of £125,000 for military charities. And they've been doing this year in, year out by organising fundraising events themed around rugby, beer and gin, food, live music and great people. They regularly hold events and you can expect soon for a supper club to be added to their calendar. Their most recent event was a beer and gin festival held in Old Leventonians RFC and Leventon Spa, the home of Rugby for Heroes, and a club who recognise, as many others do, the huge impact that Rugby for Heroes has, not only on the military community, but also on the local community. You can keep up to date with what Rugby for Heroes are doing by following them on social media at rugby number four heroes, rugby four heroes, and getting onto their website, rugbyforheroes.org. I strongly suggest you do get to their events and I will see you at the next event. I've been to every single one of their events since I discovered Rugby for Heroes and quite frankly, since they supported me through very difficult times. So I hold them very close to my heart and I'm very appreciative of their support as are many other HR fans who have been touched in different ways by Rugby for Heroes over the years. Rugbyforheroes.org. And where you fit in, and I think I could have hopefully fitted in either. Um, I think the engineers might have been better in terms of being deployed in more peace times because I think I sort of left, I joined at the end of Afghanistan. We weren't blowing shit up as much. So when I joined the gunners, not, not many, I think there's one gunner regiment still deploying. Uh, from, from a armoured gunnery perspective, there was some I-Star and sent some WARN but nothing particularly punchy. And whereas the engineers will get deployed to hurricane relief uh, operations and things like that that are peacetime orientated as well. So it might have worked better for the period that I was in the military. Question for you. Yeah. What is the rest of the Royal Artillery's perception of 7RJ? <laughs> Mixed, can I say? Uh, well, there was... Oh, I'll get into trouble, won't I, if I say anything <laughs> at this point. <laughs> I feel like there was a naughty battery in 7 RHA. That was that was the thing. And they were the battery. I don't, I didn't, I'll say the le- wrong letter. But um, they How were. How many batteries are there? What size is a battery? A battery a battery's a company. Okay. Right. So, uh, company I size. thought it was company sized. I thought it was battery sized, 7 RHA. Oh, God, I don't know. I, I was never in 7 RHA. Uh, I, th- I don't know size wise. I may be wrong. I've got yeah, there must be more. Well, there must be more than one battery, uh, more com- more than one company, because there was a naughty company supposedly, and they were the one that sort of overshot Salisbury Plain and landed, you know, uh, ended up in a farmer's field. They were the ones that had some sort of dodgy overshot, as in with artillery. Yeah, 
Holy shit. When yeah, was that? Yeah. Oh, several years ago. There was, I think it was sort of hushed up and here's some money, Mr. Farmer. <laughs> oh my God. Can you imagine that? Um, wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, so farmer's like, oh, there's a great big hole in my field. Um, and that, that potentially, you know, there was... I got blown up by 7-RHA in Afghan. Oh, really? Oh, Although God. they denied it. okay. Yeah, they totally denied it. Yeah, they said it was an uh, airburst from a Taliban. Well, I was on a roof in... Uh, I was on a roof in um, uh, Muscala. And there was a bunch... Of, it, was, it was in the middle of a, uh, of a contact, in the middle of a tick. And they'd been banned from firing over troops' heads uh, earlier in the tour because they'd dropped one short into the Sangin DC... Like in the middle of Sangin, where which was the compound being occupied there by, by British forces, and they dropped me short and landed in the, well, like I said, the courtyard, the open area. No one had been killed, it was like or injured, it was like fucking Jesus. So they got banned for final people's heads. I don't know what was going on. Maybe it was a naughty battery. Maybe they had some. Maybe at the time it was just they had some morons in command. It happens. You know? Yeah. And uh, and as in Muscala, we had shit going down, and they were in the in the desert, and they we called them in. They got authorization to fire over heads, and they did. And it was a three-round salvo, if that's the right yeah. terminology. And we heard the first one coming. We're like, fucking hell. Whistling in. Yeah, yeah. Like, fucking hell, this is, this is close. Because where the target was, was close. But it wasn't that close. It was, we're talking maybe, it might have been, I reckon, 200 meters, if I remember where the target was, where we were calling it on. First one came in. Second one came in, I was like, oh, my God, this is close to well. And the third one came. I mean, you we crouched down on this roof. Oh, my God. And I was like, oh, my God. It felt even closer than all the rest of it. And it, they were airburst. And oh, it wow. fucking exploded yeah, on this yeah, roof. Yeah. There, was, there was maybe 12. It was a big old roof. There was like yeah. maybe 12 of us on there. It was me, my sniper buddy. Next was, was an officer from the Royal Irish. Um, literally, he, he was stood next to us. Me and my buddy would crouch down like we were all fucking supposed to do, crouch down when the shit came yeah. And then there was a bunch of Royal, Royal Irish around and he just went boom, like brown out, like, like fucking hell. I blood pouring out my arm. Jared, my, the buddy next to me, was, was okay. Jared actually started a podcast with me. It was, I had a oh, co-host cool. early on, first 10 episodes, yeah. The officer was nowhere to be seen. And all he could do was screaming. There were oh six God. guys screaming. Yeah, they'd all been they, it, they'd all been hit. I was the one who got off lightest. Uh, I just had a bit of shrapnel in my arm. And uh, six of them. Yeah, the officer had run. Who had been stood right next to us stood up. He had run himself off the roof to the med, to the the med room where the, where our medics and the doc was. He'd taken shrapnel in in, in through his in through Fuck. the side of his chest. And later, it transpired it stopped like four inches from his heart. Oh, yeah. Jesus Christ! Fucking seven right, And they okay. said, "No, no, no, it wasn't." That was a loaded question, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now they said, "Yeah, no, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't us." And I was like, oh, it "Fucking Jesus. was," because I heard the first two rounds and the third round landed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this isn't coincidence. Jesus, yeah, sons well, of bitches. It happened. Caveat: This stuff happens. I understand in heated circumstances. I didn't. I'm surprised like you it. even invited an artillery officer <laughs> to your podcast after that. <laughs> I didn't realise until after I invited you. Oh but god! No, okay. um, no. But I only did. I was only in one armoured gunnery regiment, and you move around as an officer. So I did other stuff. Like so uh, what's uh, the artillery's perception of seven IHA? Naughty battery. Naughty battery. Okay. okay. Yeah. Okay, um, yeah. What was I going to say to you? Uh, <laughs> I forgot what I was going to say now. You're going to apologise for your... Yeah, yeah, unit, yeah. So. I'm not going to anymore. <laughs> I'm not going to... Don't judge me. <laughs> oh, that was it. The closest I've ever got to being hit by artillery, and it was absolutely nothing on your story, was we were... It was it was on exercise, but it was um, on Salisbury Plain and on the impact area. 
And I was, so I wasn't a fire support team commander or training to be a fire support team commander. Never got to deploy on it. I, again, my, the peer group before us was the, they were the ones that got to go on, on the Herricks. And, uh, and they always said to us, oh, it'd be the best job you ever do. Was, yeah, really? Salisbury Plain? Um, but it's still cool. It's still cool. Like you get to shout fire and down the net and <laughs> shit goes bang. But, you know, so um, we're on the impact area and the OP, the, uh, the observation post, was actually directly opposite the gun target line. Uh, so where the guns were on the opposite side of the training area. So we were, like, if you were, there's a, there a bird, uh, as the crow flies, we were on the same line. And I think somebody got something wrong in terms of the size of the charge or something because definitely overshot. And I swear to God, I was climbing out the turret and I fucking got back in again because this thing landed. Really? Probably, probably was like 100, 200, maybe a bit, maybe even more, but... You suddenly realise, like the size of a one five five round landing in front of you, you you get you get down quick. And I remember thinking, "Fuck!" We're not like, small bank. Then that's not supposed to be there. Not <laughs> that's not supposed to be there. You know. Not small you think about how much? How, I mean, you think about how much of that kind of live firing training of any unit of any type of ammunition or weapon system goes on year after year. You would think. Loads of people should be dying every year. It doesn't. It's a miracle. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't. happen. It's a miracle it doesn't happen. I, when I I did a Dems course uh, with the engineers, I said with the engineers, they fucking taught us. That was that was one of the most intensive courses I've done. That is actually yeah, my mean, that's why my dad's deaf. <laughs> <laughs> the theory on that man. Um, but I remember we were we were doing our final one of our final live firing fucking things, and we I can't remember what the area is. I can't remember where it was either. Where where would the Where's the engineers? Um, uh, near Camberley. Cam- Cam- uh, yeah, right, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Minley Manor is where they do okay. a lot. Of is that the big, got the big valley there? Possibly, yeah, I think possibly. Yeah, yeah. so we went, out, we went on the side of the valley and basically we all had, we all got instructed, we got told what kind of charges we had to do to create, to put in place and um, and on what kind of material and we all decided this valley, we all put them in place and then we all got wired back to this massive bunker and uh so i mean maybe there was 15 of us and there was there was the firing unit with 15 switches on it or oh, however many switches on it yeah, yeah. and uh, i remember the f- and, and part of it was knowing that you'd wired it right back you put it in the device properly so you, it was in the right switch yeah and i remember the the first guy student going to uh set off his set off his charge and everyone's in the bunker we're all looking across at the at the at the other side of the valley where all the charges are laid we're all looking across <laughs> and it's supposed to go from left to right all the charges are like left to right across about 500 meters wherever big it is so he gets this thing and it's his charge and he he flicks the switch and a fucking charge on the opposite side oh, of the body goes boom <laughs> like oh we're all like oh no but chuckling oh, away so big fat freddy for you oh, <laughs> there's no, no power big take that, a fail that makes yeah. me think of um so i was part of a rapier unit the air defense unit that was my first ever posting but rapier's been going out of service i swear to god for the last 50 years i thought the RAF did that so we took it on from them oh, right. years ago so yeah we took on ground-based air defense at that range and um we were up in the Hebrides where they do all we do all the firing, all the test firing. But these missiles are going out of service, right? They're just on in a big storage room facility, big storage facility, and they get sort of carted out for the two firing camps they do a year, whatever it is now. And it is being replaced, but this is ten years ago. And um, I was told that something in the region of twenty percent of these missiles go rogue. <laughs> so it used to be this is like twenty <laughs> percent something create there's some sort of twenty percent failure rate or something like that. So it used to be years and years ago when Rapier was like in service, like in the eighties. Um, 
uh, that you could sit outside the bunker and watch the firing. Now it's like, no, no, you get in the bunker. <laughs> and I remember being on the small arms range down the road doing concurrent activity. And that's the one time I you know, got to play with Tracer on with a GPMG, which was quite fun and running up and down the range. <laughs> and I remember watching these missiles and half of them were going and coming back on themselves. Um, oh my they have God. to have like a, kilo- a kilometer ri- rear of the bunker that was part of the range set up. So yeah, that it's is, quite entertaining. That's a high percentage, yeah, 20%. Yeah. Of rogue missiles. Oh my god! Something like that. I'm pretty sure. If it was only fine. people knew. <laughs> <laughs> this was ten years ago. That's fine. <laughs> it's like the it's like when the javelin the javelin weapon system came out. The anti tank weapon system yeah. the javelin that came out, and they, there's they have failure rates on the on the missiles on those, and it's when they pull the trigger and the the the, the javelin comes out and just plops out the front. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Lands in front. Of you go, yeah, shit, that's what these shit. that's what these could do as well. It's like the second stage ignition hasn't kicked in. You're like, great, so it's right there. Brilliant. Brilliant, yeah, no. Um, what? So, was it your military experience that drove you to do the mental health challenges last year? Yeah, I think yeah, because I mean, like I said, we said before um, we started, like the military is just a huge part of my identity. I was a kid when I effectively joined at tw- like you know went to university, joined at twenty one, and so I feel like my whole life has been I've eaten, drank, and slept and spoken the military for the last ten years. It's really hard to think of myself in any other way and um I think in that time you just come across so many stories definitely and definitely towards the end of my career I became much more aware of what people had been through friends or colleagues whether they'd lost limbs or um you know they'd lost friends or and I think what stuck out for me the most is how much people were talking more about their mental health and it's it's obviously been a been a problem for years and years and years but I think people are just getting better at talking about it. And I didn't experience any trauma directly related to my military ser- military service, but I did go through like a, quite a traumatic phase in my own personal life. And it had an impact on while my... While you were serving? Yeah, while I was, so while I was serving. So nothing to do with my job. But but when something happens to you that's traumatic, it, it, it immediately impacts your ability to operate. Can you talk about it or not? Uh, well, don't have to. It just, feels a bit, it just feels a bit like it's nothing on people who've lost limbs or something no, but that's not, you know like you know that's not the right attitude to have about no it. i know i know and so for well for me it was just um a betrayal so i was deployed and my partner cheated on me while i was deployed and we'd been together a long long time and it's just um it's quite Did you a, find out while he was out there just when i got back oh my god but yeah so anyway and it's when you've been with someone for a long time that's not insignificant no and i think when when you realize i'm like god how do people go through divorce i don't multiple times i don't know how they do it it destroys it destroys you like um because depends on the reason of course but how do people stick with people who cheated yeah i don't i don't know that's fucking crazy as well yeah but it definitely you know i'd never really had many boyfriends or you know relationships was younger so it was really shocking and it sort of ripped my heart out of my body and and because he was serving as well and I was serving and our life had been the army you know it's it's definitely had an impact on my view of the military and whether or not I was happy there anymore and and I def and it just questions you just question everything you question your self-worth you question Were you in the same unit no no, oh, no. Okay. um but yeah you question your self-worth you question it just it just breaks down your resilience to like the base level because you just feel so betrayed by the someone you trusted like it's the closest person to you in the world and they and they and um and the trust has just gone. And it's like, yeah, I don't know how to describe it other than it breaks you down to like the, your bare bones and you and you have dark thoughts because you're like, my world isn't worth living anymore because this horrible thing has happened. And it, 
it seems silly talking about that now, but at the time, I just remember it being so traumatic for me. Well, it turns your understanding of reality <clears throat> on its head. Anything like that. Yeah. Like some massive, especially betrayal or something you thought you understood, which yeah. you know, just turns your reality on its head. It yeah. changed your world, which was two seconds before uh, or orderly mm. into complete chaos. Yeah. I, 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 what I you thought, what you, thought yeah. you knew. And I think what made it worse, and I won't get into too much detail, was that unfortunately it became quite public because the other person involved in the third person in that scenario put something on Facebook it got screenshotted and then it got shared around all the army, all the officer WhatsApp groups, you know, of our peer groups. So suddenly your personal life is everywhere. And that was like another level of just like, oh my God. you know, your personal life is just out there. And all these things that this, your, the person who trusted has said about you, it, it, private things are just oh known. So that's not very nice. And, and suddenly your world is like on fire and that just spirals. And you, and I think I've read it before where you people go through, Cheatings or divorces, you know, you don't eat as very well, you don't sleep very well, you know, and it would be so easy to spiral into like drinking or finding other means to um, distract yourself from the problem and the heartache and the whatever. And and I've never known something to so emotionally driven to have such a physical impact on your body. And I think that happens to a lot of people in those situations. Anyway, like I said, there are worse things in life than being cheated on, but it was pretty horrible but it made me much more empathetic to people who'd gone through traumatic experiences because ultimately what I was going through was a form of grief I was grieving a life that I thought I had a person who I thought I loved who no longer existed in my life and probably grieving the old version of me because I'm I'm definitely a different person now and um for the better yeah I think definitely and I was one thing I would say is that I was listening to another podcast, apologies, <laughs> The Diary of a CEO. Have you read? Yeah, I've heard, a massive one. I've heard of it. Um, and he talks about trauma and apparently 90 or 80, 90% of people who are asked if they would, um, if they would lose the lessons that they had now by not having that trauma, would they, something like along those lines, uh, would they, um, would they not have that trauma happen to, th- happen to them if they didn't know the lessons that they know now? And they all went, no, I don't, I'd, I'd still have it happen to me because I think you learn from those experiences and you get stronger and, and so on. But anyway, going back to mental, res- mental resilience, basically, I realised I was so angry. I was so angry that my resilience, both physical and mental, had been like just destroyed. And I thought, this is not cool. And I started to really empathise with friends I started having conversations with other people in the military and I'd started engaging with the welfare service and with therapy and and here you were in yeah oh, that's good and while I and I and I was like it was good because it put my problem into perspective definitely and which definitely which always helps and I was like shit people are dealing this is like so common people are dealing with mental health issues daily and it doesn't ma- it doesn't matter everyone's pain is relative it can be that your long-term partner cheats on you it can be that you've lost a family yeah. member it can be that you've lost a limb it can be that your child is terminally ill Th- that all those things have an impact on your mental health it doesn't you know and it's just it doesn't matter it doesn't matter how you, what you look like your mental resilience can be affected and i just that just got me really passionate about it and i just I don't know, maybe as a, as a junior officer, I got, asked, I got asked to give a soldier, one of my soldiers came to me, d- week one, day seven, mom, I'm 32, this is what he said, but along these lines, I'm paraphrasing, he said, I'm 32 years old, I've got three kids and my wife's divorcing me, have you got, have you got any advice? And I remember being like, mate, I haven't got a clue, I've got no life experience, you know, went to university, 
that doesn't and whereas 10 years later I feel like I've got like, I've got um some experience in some of those areas and I can actually genuinely empathize and it's not sympathy it's I, I fucking understand how that feels and how that manifests physically in your body and how that stops you from operating at your optimum level and what your and the negative spirals that you go into and and the ways not to react and the ways that you can help yourself and I just yeah but ultimately I decided to close that chapter in my life I thought you know what that sort of public although I had lots of support from the military and I was very proud to be in the army at that time because of the support I received I thought it was just too much of a like I don't know ripping in my in my identity and it was just time to close that chapter and that's partly why I left uh, on top of sort of just wanting to try something new and and I thought but I don't want to just jump into a new career I want to take a break and I want to do something of me with meaning and with purpose when did you leave so I left in August last year well oh I didn't realize it was that yeah not that long ago yeah okay yeah yeah and I thought Talk, I'm gonna grab the yeah, yeah, and I thought um, I'm going to take the opportunity to do some fundraising um, for a mental health charity and for veterans because I just I fucking love the army and I think mental health is important and uh, I want to do all the things that I've always wanted to try and do um, all these challenges. Um, yeah, what well, else it, it's it, you know. You, you <sighs> Not everyone goes through that level of pain and grief. You know, to your point, everything's relative. Yeah. But I think I I really think like the most the most valuable people, some of the most valuable people when it comes to advocating for um, mental health support, mental ill health support, and uh, and you know showing that showing people who are really struggling that you can get through it, it are people who can who one have been through it, but two and understand how and why they went through it and what the implications are self for and then th- and then three are able to articulate mm. to other people and empathize with other people their lessons that will be relevant to them for yeah. it. you know one of the i was thinking about this this morning i can't remember what i was thinking about oh, i was literally thinking i've got two daughters and um and sort of one of the things in the back of my mind at the moment for, uh, for a while is you know this I've been hearing for a while there's like an uptick in r- real bad mental ill health with young girls. And it really worries me because I've got daughters. And uh, I was literally thinking this morning, is it, if I can, one thing I, I think I need to send this to them, but not in a way that I'm patronising. It's just like <laughs> yeah. one lesson. If I could tell anyone who was ill or even healthy, one lesson I could tell anyone about mental, mental health, mental ill health. It's like, if I had to choose one, it's that when you, when you start going down a, a a bad path mentally, like you you you're not well, you're getting ill, your brain starts playing tricks on you, and it it will present an alternative reality to you than what is actually the truth. And the worst way that manifests itself is that you will tell yourself and you will think there is no way out, there is no hope you can get, yep. there is no help you can get, there are no options, yep. there's nothing you can do about your shit situation that you're in or that you think you're in. Yep. And your brain will tell you that. And that's it. If I could tell anyone one thing, it's yep. that. So when yeah. you think everything is a nightmare, yeah. remember that thing. Yeah. It isn't a nightmare. Your brain's telling you it is. It isn't true. Don't believe it. Yeah. Don't believe it. Because, yeah. and that, because I think ultimately that's why a lot of the suicides happen. Because of that 
not that one thing, but mm-hmm. the, the brain is tricking people into thinking, I'm fucked. This is it. I'm fucked. I've yeah. got this pain forever. Yeah. And it's going to get worse. Nobody yeah. can help. No one can understand. There's no way out. Yeah. It's the most horrible aspect of when I was, when I've had my mental ill health in the past. That, that bit. It's yeah. like, fuck. I think, and I don't know about you, but I've, I knew I was never going to act on any of the dark thoughts I had because, and lucky for me, I had a support network around me, like amazing parents, amazing group of female friends, actually, particularly at the time. Um, but it didn't mean I didn't have thoughts where you're driving along and you're like, this is my mom's going to hate me that saying this, but you just think it would be easier. It would be less painful to just turn my car into such a res- reservation and that would end this pain. And that's like a horrible thing. And then that makes you sad and it makes you angry because you're like, this, you know, this isn't me, but this is what I'm thinking and I can't stop thinking it. But that's rung, well, that's one rung closer to actually doing it. I know you're saying like you would never do it, but if, if it's an alternative person yeah. who doesn't have that awareness, doesn't Support have that network. experience of previous mental Ill health, yeah. maybe not in just yourself, in others, yeah. or, or exposure to mental health knowledge and training that yeah. we're so benef- we're so lucky now. We as a you know as people who live in the UK and we as people who have been part of a military, where it's like to the tail end of my military career, it was certainly getting better. But it's not as good as it is now. We're very lucky to have that experience. But people who don't have mm. that experience, they they drop to the next yeah. rung down, yeah. you know, and, and then they get closer and closer to the bottom rung before yeah. they drop off into a fucking abyss where oh. they ain't coming back. Yeah, my friend the other day, a very good friend of mine that we met actually just after that happened, and we connected really really closely. He was um actually uh ex para. He sorry he transit he transferred to oh god one of the guards regiments or something. <laughs> what I know what, <laughs> but he um, give me his name no. after this. I'm gonna him down. <laughs> Don't uh, say it on no, air. No, no. Uh, but no, he um, and I don't think. What the fuck was he doing? I don't, I don't. I don't think he'll mind me saying because he's quite. He's he's an influencer now as well. It's quite. It's disgusting. Um, but yeah, no, he. Um, sorry, what's going to say? Yeah, so he does a lot on TikTok and and um, Facebook and whatever the new apps are on mental health. And he actually released a video recently and admitted that he'd when as he left the army last year or the year before, um, he'd stood on top of a bridge and Jesus. considered and I was like fuck me like I knew you were struggling and we were sort of going through our own mental health issues at that time together and we bonded it we actually bonded over that it was quite trauma bonding's not healthy <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and I was like I didn't actually know that you'd gone and stood on top of a bridge like fuck you know and I don't that's the I think that's the thing we just don't know what everyone is going through you don't know from looking at someone and it's so easy to judge isn't it it's so easy to judge someone's background and experience and yeah like i said everyone's pain is relative so mm. don't judge yeah trauma bond trauma bonding works sometimes yeah. I, got a friend who, I got a friend who got a couple of friends and they i've interviewed her twice and he left the military we we served together he left the military went out to afghanistan long so short he went out cp was looking after looking after a company in a compound in a place called kunduz in afghanistan which later on i think it was what year was that 20 i can't remember what year it was uh anyway ended up sky sky news front and center because it got smashed by five suicide bombers afghan taliban but they didn't blow themselves up straight away they tried clearing the house first and then blew themselves up Long story short, she got shot. Another friend of mine who was out there also got killed. My friend, trauma bonding point I brought this up, he got shot as well. 
and uh, they now they married each other and they uh, oh, they wow. did have a relationship mm-hmm. at the time but they were the only they sort of connected on this thing common shared experience I remember the yeah. point the point of making this is remember when they got together um, about six months later maybe and they came and lived at my house in the UK uh, for a, a good a good while um, together and I remember thinking it, it can't be good them being together because all they've got is this Share this thing. negative thing, yeah. You're never going to get away from it. Not that I'm suggesting any trauma like that should be completely forgotten, but it's like, it's always, I thought, it's always going to be there and present and that's going to be a miserable existence. I literally thought that. I've never told them this. Yeah. But I literally thought it's going to be a miserable existence. No. And actually it hasn't. Like now, yeah. they, they, they live in the UK. He's, uh, he's British anyway. She wasn't, she's not British. They live in the UK, they've got kids and, it seems to be fine. Yeah. And it, it was, I think it was 20, when was it? 2016? No, 2012 or 2013 it happened. You know, and it's worked out but yeah. much, like completely contrary to what I, I thought. But I think that's kind of a, yeah. a unique case. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I, I kind of joke because we actually end up, we're now probably best friends, I would say. But uh, yeah, we definitely understood each other more than other potentially people outside of that bubble of mental health. Yeah. But um it's definitely important to have people that understand around you when you're going through that. Mm. For sure. Mm. And don't just distract yourself. Make progress. I think that's the key. That's what got me through. Like time, it gen- it's as frustrating as it is when someone says time is the only healer. It fucking is. <laughs> it's nothing else I don't think fixes the problem. Time and making progress towards something that matters to you. Uh, or do you disagree? Is it time or is it experiences? Because yeah. time is not going to be a healer if no. you stay at home, you do nothing, you true. don't challenge yourself, true, and you true, sit true. there and you wallow your own self-pity. Yeah. Which is a quite easy trap to fall into, especially yeah. you don't have a support network around you yeah. or you don't think you have a support network around you. You know, so... Get out there. Mm. You have to... Fo- kind of why Lily, my dog exists, was like, I need trauma something dog. to make me feel better. <laughs> yeah, she's a trauma dog. I was like, I want a puppy. And now I regret it. No, <laughs> no I love her. She's just annoying. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you have to have a reason to get out of bed, for sure. And if you don't have children, if you don't have, um, you know, if, you're, you're, if the army, for example, is really supportive and just says, you know, you take what time you need. Actually, in a way, you kind of need them to be like, get in the office. So what's your reason for getting out of bed now? Oh, Apart just, from Lily. I think I've opened this Pandora's box of experiences. So probably you're probably bang on. Um, and I just want more. Yeah. I want to I wanna live on a high as much as possible. So how are you... Get, go on. What, what's, what's well, just like then? constantly, I'm like, I want to raise the bar. Like in the army, you think you do cool shit. And I'm sure you probably have done way more cool shit than I have. Um, but I... I and uh, I don't know. I just... I like the adrenaline rush. I like... Maybe it's just that desire to feel more. Maybe that's, maybe that's unhealthy. But I want to be wowed and I want to be impressed and I want to be excited and I want I want all the positive emotions and maybe that's me just massively counteracting <laughs> but and maybe it's dangerous in the sense that you know I have this my friend has this phrase allergic to average and I like that but but also life can be kind of average sometimes and you should be okay with that but it's important to step up your game when you can and go and do some cool exciting things that are going to develop you and test you and challenge you have you ever done psychedelics <laughs> i'm still in the army <laughs> no, no i haven't um, <laughs> okay <laughs> I, I yeah i would i mean you talk about belize and, and things like that and you've got ayahuasca in south america and you've got uh that is definitely something i okay. would recommend <laughs> 
<laughs> no <Recommend>, comment. <laughs> honestly. Well, I, um, yeah, it's a subject that's been, I, I, I've got a lot of focus on it in the last few years because of, from the mental health aspect. You know, I've got a, got friends who, uh, I've got a, a, one friend who, uh, who runs a charity called uh, Heroic Hearts UK. Oh, cool. And they, one of the things they're doing is campaigning to uh, uh, reschedule, reschedule psilocybin. So magic mushroom compound, oh, wow. psychedelic compound for research and oh, medical wow. application here in the UK. Okay. Uh, and they, but they also provide they provide free retreats for veterans who suffer from mental ill health, ayahuasca retreats in Peru, oh, wow. and retreats in the Netherlands as well. In the Netherlands, I think that's psilocybin based, but Peru is ayahuasca. Uh, so the the benefit, and I have first hand experience of of oh, really psychedelics in a positive way. Okay, cool. No, that's cool. Fucking mind blowing. Like, oh, really? Your view of the world and of yourself can change it. Subtle change, yeah. but huge, huge, yeah, huge. Like, I have had, uh, I do still have sometimes like big problems with anxiety, and that stems from other stuff. Real horrendous anxiety, and one of the one of the major changes to that, and how it impacted me, and how it manifested itself, was after. My first psychedelic experience. Oh, wow. yes. well, add that to the list of uh, bucket list. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll talk more on that. <laughs> um, actually, what I, should, I, should, what I should probably make sure I say is that um, there are so many amazing charities out there, and you mentioned one there, but the Veterans Foundation. That's who you raised the money for last year. Yes, that's Veterans Foundation. I, I definitely tell me sure about I the Veterans Foundation. What they do? I've uh, heard of them before, but I don't yeah, really know so they're quite new. So they were set up, I think, seven years ago now uh, by Major General Sh- uh, David Shaw, who's a gunner general. Um, so it was a good in for me. And uh, but I like the idea of them because I was I was like really trying to figure out who I wanted to raise money for because there are so there's about eighteen hundred veterans charities out there which is crazy ridiculous it's crazy and my uncle who was ex-military was like why do we need another bloody charity and i was like well the thing is there are so many niche requirements so there are niche charities and but the what i liked about the veterans foundation is that they they actually run a lottery so they weren't doing a lot of fundraising they were just running a lottery and the excess money goes to smaller charities so the bigger charities like help for heroes or abf they have quite a good marketing strategy and they're well-known, they're well-established. But there are lots of smaller charities like Scotty's Little Soldiers or... Love yeah. Scotty's. I've had, I've had uh, Nicola on the podcast. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, I've, yeah. like, tagged them and stuff. But lots of smaller charities and they make... So the Veterans Charity gives grants to the charities that maybe need them most. Oh, so they I help distri- redistribute yeah. money. The Veterans Foundation does that. Does that, yeah. Didn't so I really like that because... Veterans Foundation or Veterans Charity? The Veterans Foundation. Sorry to interrupt. No, that's okay, all right. Yeah. And uh, so I love that because that means I didn't have to choose because <laughs> I was like, how do I, how do I possibly choose where this goes? And they have like five or six different pots. It might have been combating, uh, supporting combat injury, um, but like bereavement, homelessness and education, uh, but also mental health. So I was like, well, great, because I can say that the money that I've raised has gone into that pot and uh, they'll make sure it goes to the right charities. How do they select the charities it goes to? Uh, I think they just it's done, done case by case if if the charities want to be um, so connected they grant. can apply to ah. the veterans charity yeah oh, and, you, like and then you your, in, uh, yourself you can apply for lottery you can pay for lottery tickets and you might win a small amount of money as well oh, so, it's, so there are money prizes eh? yeah money prizes for you if you sign up but also they take a big proportion of that and give them as grants so uh, I've got it here in front so, um, I thought it was quite yeah. Nice concept. That's no, pretty good. Veteransfoundation.org.uk. How much did you raise yeah. last year for them? So 
we had an amazing sponsor called Root Technologies, another veteran, and Root Root R O U T T E. They're um uh like an uh, energy sustainable energy um company that's up and coming. It's to do with uh, uh so Anthony. His name's Anthony, the CEO. Um, and the idea being that the energy from cars going over this technology will uh, create and store energy that can be redistributed. So it's a sustainable energy source. So that was my major sponsor. I feel like I've spoken to this guy on the phone. And Anthony. Um, is this is this is this small wind turbines on the side of the road? No. Oh, okay. Well, unless there's a turbine element of it, I'm not sure. But okay. Anthony, um, I can't think of his last name off the top of my head right now. But... Um, yeah, it's his concept. And he pledged uh, £20,000 to the cause, which was amazing. Wow. And I was like jumping for joy at that point because like someone finally gets it. Um, but I, I think to, to date, they've not, they're quite they're quite a new company. So yeah, I think money is sort of, it comes when it comes sort of thing. And so uh, in total, they've given me, I think, uh, I think they've given me 10 on top of the 10 that I raised separately. So amazing. I think I raised 20 grand. So yeah, so... Um, Still waiting on potentially another ten to five, five to ten thousand pounds, but I was happy because I, in my mind, I was like, if I if I raise a thousand pounds per challenge, I'm happy because I wasn't thinking very big. I was just sort of like, I'll just do this and hope for the best. And because fundraising is such a huge undertaking, it's horrible, it's, isn't it? It's you putting yourself out there, and it's like a whole marketing it's strategy. It's crazy. Can you imagine being the CEO of a charity? Oh god, I couldn't do it. no, I couldn't don't want to do, do it again it. for a long time. No, no, because no. you just and also you feel so guilty whenever you're not doing something fundraising orientated you feel like every mm. second of your day should be focused on another strategy another avenue of approach yeah um should you be doing i don't know should i be standing at bus stops <laughs> with a bucket you know <laughs> what yeah. can i do to get more money in um and so the challenge is by the you know putting them aside the hardest thing last year was um just trying to f- think of ways like i'd say 80 percent of my time was spent doing the background fundraising work. It was really? like, a, like a full-time job. Yeah, I can imagine, actually. I can imagine. Well, so what, what are you going to do next, then? If, if, you, if that's a lot of stress to be doing the charity fundraising, <laughs> what's your next plan to keep you going? Uh, so I have one challenge that was we weren't able to do because the weather got too dangerous to do it last year, which was to climb the Matterhorn. Um, which the Matterhorn. Matterhorn, which is the famous Toblerone mountain. Um, and, yeah, it's too dangerous to climb. Italy. Italy, Zermatt, yeah. yeah. And... Uh, yeah, so we've actually rescheduled that for next year, and I'll prob- and I'll reopen the funding pot for that because I'm not actually a very good mountaineer. So it'll so be next a good, year you're gonna do it. good challenge. Yeah. What are you going to do for your training? Lots of mountaineering in Snowdonia and scrambling in the Lake District, and yeah, just trying to up my game a bit. Have you got anyone you can lean in to get experience? So I've joined the Army Mountaineering Association, so I'm hoping to get on a few of their weekends. Yeah, If you want, I'll connect you up with a couple of people, a couple of previous guests, actually. One who nearly killed himself training for the Matterhorn. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. That'd be great advice. (laughs) (laughs) I got some great advice from him. Chris Shirley, ex-bootneck officer. He now lives in Estonia. But he's an awesome dude. Uh, Got a marketing company now. Uh, Yeah, uh, branding. Brand and marketing company now. And the other guy is... um, uh, he runs Monkey Mountaineering. Oh, I've, yes, I've, I've, I've I think I follow it. No, I think, well, I think we've spoken on LinkedIn or Instagram no, or something. He is well worth connecting Because I think I reached out to him like, do you have any jobs? <laughs> <laughs> but he's a great guy. Yeah. I've got to get his name. I can't, I can't believe we've forgotten his bloody name. We're nearly done, by the way. Uh, Monkey Mountaineering, Monkey Mountaineering. Who is it? Monkey Mountaineering. You'll say his name. Paul Spackman. 
Paul Spackman he just jumped into my head no I'm sure maybe it's another monkey one mountaineering I've definitely heard of monkey mountaineering Sam Marshall uh, God's sake. sorry Sam for getting your name Jesus Christ <laughs> man you might excuse have I have had 214 guests now <laughs> uh, wow that's impressive yeah so check out Sam okay and if you want connect up with Chris I connect with Chris but knowledge experience yeah, yeah, yeah. tips and device it's really hard to tell if it's harder than it's being said or if it's being over egged because some art when you do your research some articles are like you will die it's the I, most I, dangerous I, thing I, in I the world the Matterhorn is pretty horrendous it's tough, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it was Chris who told me yeah yeah Chris who told me yeah it's altitude right I did Mont Blanc and I vomited twice on the way up oh really <laughs> so I think I've never done anything major like that yeah. never done anything major uh, yeah. yeah Sam invited me out to, Mor- to go and do a, a, I think a trip in Morocco but I just couldn't do it yeah. Away, but I'd love to do that. Love mountains. Yeah, get some mountains yeah. in here. It's good. Good for us all. Yeah, we're um we're coming up the time. Yes. What have we not mentioned that you wanted to mention? Uh, probably the challenges themselves. But what from last year? Yeah. Did you want to talk through? No, no, no. Well, do oh, you got time. You got no, to talk no, through. No. Absolutely. No, no. Well, I suppose, to be honest, you could just refer to it, and I've spoken about them so much. I actually prefer what we talked about. <laughs> <laughs> you could just be like, "Gender these challenges and raise." Well, on grand. the challenges, can people still donate? Yes, I get the funding pot open. Okay, so t- where's that then? Uh, so that is, uh, you can go to the Veterans Foundation website and look at the fundraising tab. Veteransfoundation.org.uk. Yeah, yeah, or I do have a website still running, which is genevolve.co.uk, which is J-E-N-N-E-V-O-L-V-E. So it's like evolution, gen, it's like challenge, uh, that kind of thing. J-E-N-N-O-V-L-E. So J-E-N-N-E-V-O. L-V-E. Yeah, I know. I realised that. Late. I realised later it wasn't the easiest thing to say on. Is on it? Is it dot com? Dot co. uk. Dot co. uk. Don't worry about it. People do it all the time. Um, I had a friend uh, who asked me to build a website for him. This is many years ago, and I said, "Okay, you know where he's? What's the name of the company?" And it was Aquiro. Oh God, who's C- how do you spell Aquiro that? Aquiro <laughs> Scientia Surveillance. Well, problem number one is how the fuck do you spell it? Yeah. Like problem number two is when you abbreviate it, it's ass. Oh A-S-S. no. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's no longer called that name. Yeah, no, it's yeah. a different company now. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. But um, yeah, you can donate because Genevolve.co.uk. Yeah, oh, I think so. www.genevolve. J E N N. Yeah. E V O L V E. O L V E. Oh, Gen Evolve. Gen Evolve. Gen Evolve. Gen Evolve. Like, like Gen Evolution. Um, okay, right. Gen Evolve. Yeah, because I've been doing a couple of, like, I've been to schools and a couple of cadet forces to talk about it. So um, I keep the pot, pot open in case anyone wants to oh, good. All stick right. a so few quid I'll in. Do is I'll put the link to the Thank you. website because we've just butchered describing the name of it. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Um, and but yeah, I would fully recommend. Yeah. It's tough. It's hard work going off and doing um, fundraising challenges, but. I think the benefit it's mutually beneficial for the charities, for the awareness, um, and for yourself individually as like a bit of personal development and I met some amazing people last year that I would never have met if I hadn't sort of put myself out there and and done it. So Amazing. Yeah. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank a real you so pleasure talking to you. I really enjoyed it. I feel like I could have gone on for hours, which is dangerous. <laughs> You'd be like, Jen, shut the fuck up. <laughs> I got no problem telling off so that no no problem whatsoever. Um, good luck with the challenges. I'll put Thank a link to this you. in the blurb. And um, yeah. thanks to Dave Davis again for connecting yeah, us up. I hope it was reasonable. He will be happy. Okay. He's easily pleased. Okay. He'll be happy. No, it's very it's a real pleasure to talk to you. Really cool. enjoyed Thank it. You so good luck. Much. Thank thanks. you. That's it. If you enjoyed this episode, why not become a HR patron? HR patrons get exclusive access to 
premium content. There are private interviews with previous guests and with this guest that nobody will see except for the HR patrons. So before this podcast was recorded, I recorded an exclusive Q&A, a shorter interview structured around eight questions. All the questions were chosen by patrons beforehand, and that interview is online now for patrons. That happens every time. Patrons also get access to all of the episodes before anyone else. They get advanced viewing of the episodes. And you also get other perks and bonuses. All of the information is on charliecharlie1.com. Just hit the menu item, become a patron. It'll show you everything there, including access to the HR Discord community and private patron-only channels on there. So go to charliecharlie1.com and hit the menu item, become a patron. Easy peasy. Thank you for being a supporter. Subscribe to the channel and I will catch you on the next episode. Thank you.